0: shrieking shack this is a harry potter reread podcast for elapsed fans i am your host zc and i'm liz and liz we are so close we are this close i can feel it jk rowling is about to snap <laughs> you we can only hope you just brought this to my attention right as we were about to start recording but this tweet where someone sent jk rowling a picture of an azkaban cake they made and and she responded I don't see Voldemort as a great cake lover. Thinking about it, I can't imagine him eating. Can you? It feels beneath him. I suspect he reached a point of inhumanity where he didn't actually need food.
1: We're back. We're fucking back. We are back to J.K. Rowling just tweeting out a little bit of new lore. I feel like this one, pretty minor. Yeah. Not really, doesn't really have a whole lot of, a lot going on, but we are so close to... To something huge.
0: That's right. It's not. It's not a big deal on its own, but it shows that she's she's ready and willing to start dropping little nuggets of Harry Potter lore to us again, which is exciting. Uh, 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 she's she's nearly back to her final form. She's been liking a bunch of bunch of heinous transphobic tweets again recently oh
1: absolutely heinous just
0: foul stuff
1: i was i was honestly like i shouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. you know and i and i went and looked at the likes and i was like oh that is that's heinous well she's
0: being, she's being like sort of clever i mean like you know quotes around clever here but she's being sort of clever about it in that she's like faving like relatively innocuous out of context replies to shitty yeah stuff and Um, but no she's reading all that stuff and she's into it and and which you know that's not good but it does show us that as we are going into the seventh book here you know for our for our like final season of harry potter reread stuff that we might be contending with jk Rowling back at full power again which i'm ready for uh you know like like this is a story about harry gaining the power to go toe-to-toe with Voldemort and I think that that our story has been us preparing for the return of of a fully monstered out JK Rowling
1: oh for sure so let's so let's let's hash this one out Mm -hmm. Voldemort doesn't eat cake right what's up with that this and maybe doesn't eat at all
0: that's so that doesn't eat at all things like okay, that's the part where 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 it becomes very funny to me. like I get him, you know, he's a he's a he's the dark Lord. he can't be seen eating cake, right? like like that's beneath him, totally understand that that's that's good villain characterization,
1: yeah, or maybe doesn't derive pleasure from, yeah from eating that's
0: that's some classic vampire stuff right like yeah like just it just eats for sustenance doesn't need you know doesn't doesn't feel enjoyment from eating a sweet cake or something like a like a baby child but that is is beneath yeah not eating at all i'm very curious (laughs) about (laughs) because voldemort his characters that he wants immortality um, uh and it seems like if he is evolved beyond needing to eat it seems like he might have achieved that in that case right like that sounds like he's already there if he doesn't need food i feel like that might be his goal if voldemort was one of those people who just sat around going like if i didn't have to eat i wouldn't i get it but if uh but but i feel like that's what he's working towards that's his goal is to not have to eat but if he can already not eat and he just lives i think he's good he he won he got his he got his wish.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean he is he's good. He can't die. He has his horcruxes. He doesn't he does not need to eat. I want to know cuz when he was like a weird little fetus creature mm-hmm. before he got his new body, he did eat some some snake milk. That's right. So did he stop needing to eat once he got his new body?
0: Maybe maybe he got embarrassed, when, you know, maybe when he was in like baby form, he wasn't really able to think straight. Mm. And then and then when he grew up, you know, he he got his cool uh, uh, Ray Fine's body. He was like, Oh, I was drinking a snake's milk? That's fucking gross! I don't want to do that anymore! And just never... Never found a replacement. Maybe I don't know.
1: Maybe maybe when he was drinking the snake's milk, Warmtail saw him and was like, "Oh, you have to eat. That's really embarrassing." And then he <laughs> decided not to anymore. <laughs> He's
0: like, "Yeah, I can't. I cannot be seen eating. That would be so embarrassing mm-hmm. to appear mortal. That part I could get it if he, you know if he took his meals alone because he didn't want anyone to see him eating and get the false impression that he was human. Oh,
1: that's kind of like me. I hate being seen eating. <laughs> that's just fair. like Voldemort. Yeah, that's fair." I'll take my cake into a private room. Eating's
0: weird, right? <laughs> it's weird to think about. You're chewing it. It's all in your mouth. It's, mmm. Mm, Voldemort's yeah. onto something. Nobody perhaps.
1: needs to see that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh... He's onto something there. So yeah, so like I said, J.K. Rowling possibly achieving full power once again. Armed and fully operational battle station might be on the mm-hmm. horizon soon. We have one more tiny piece of news here, which is that uh, WizardingWorld.com and the Harry Potter at Home initiative have rolled out their like second big thing and it is the actors and some celebrity guests reading the first book to you. Are you excited? Me? Yeah.
1: Am I excited? Yeah,
0: oh yeah. Are you? No,
1: I've already read that one.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're on book 7. Catch up. Catch up, Pottermore. I look, I love Daniel Radcliffe. Uh this is this is nothing against Daniel Radcliffe, but the idea of having these these cool celebs reading harry potter to me for 17 weeks is this is the imagine the 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 celebs singing imagine video times a thousand
1: kind of it kind of is that it's it's the it's it's the round robin song um but for many weeks and is a whole novel
0: like do they keep going like if if the lockdown continues no, the, yeah, you're right. They'll probably be like, no, you have to buy the rest because it is. It, no,
1: yeah, it's it's all for some this whole initiative stuff. It's all Philosopher's Stone. Yeah, it's just like they're making their advertisement in the first book.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's for new fans and like, you know, maybe some returning fans will be like, oh, that's hey, that's the kid who is in Harry Potter and he's an adult now and he's reading it to me. That's novel. But this this does really seem like their big grab to like get parents and kids to buy into the Harry Potter ecosystem during a pandemic, which is, like, like it's evil, but it's also just really funny. Like, it's just so, I don't know, maybe I'm being too cynical, but it's like, it's so transparent. I'm like, okay, sure, yeah, okay, why not? Go for it, I guess.
1: Here's my question. Mm -hmm. I definitely felt like the Harry Potter at home thing was them... um, uh, taking this opportunity to rebrand and relaunch the new Wizarding World mm. by tying it into the news. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: Was this reading project something that maybe was in the works already? And now has just been rebranded for the Harry Potter at home because I am still, I'm still wondering about JK Rowling meeting with Daniel Radcliffe in London that one time. And he did the first chapter. So I'm like, is that, were they uh, planning this for Wizarding World and the Wizarding World gold stuff? But now with everything that's going on, it just got a like different spin. That
0: is a very interesting idea that I had not considered. How professional is the the Daniel Radcliffe video? I, I didn't watch it, I just listened to some of it.
1: Yeah, the thing is I've already read Philosopher's Downs, so I, <laughs> I, I did not uh, listen to Daniel Radcliffe's reading of it. I
0: feel like if it's just him at home on like a shitty laptop mic or whatever, then this might have been earnestly spontaneous. But oh this okay so this is definitely shot in his house because the 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 audio setup is awful he clearly is using (laughs) he's using a laptop mic or his phone or something so 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 at least the recording of it is new Mm -hmm. but the idea that's that's very plausible like maybe she was rounding the people up for like a more produced version of this for wizarding world and like Mm -hmm. this is what we got that's hmm that's something to mull mull over i'm 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 interested in this idea because you're right because they have nothing on wizarding world gold no they're in a position now where like you know they're sort of lucky because they don't you know i i doubt anyone is going like hey where's my wizarding world gold content right now but if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic i feel like people might be and what 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 did they have planned before this happened right right hmm hmm i don't know big capital h hmm on that (laughs) yeah interesting well we'll have plenty of time to mull that over as we uh as we get more and more of these chapters every week who i'm 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 excited to see who the special guests are so like the ones we know we we have daniel radcliffe i guess a couple of the other actors are involved um david beckham is doing one for some reason i want to know who the other mystery guests are i'm i'm guessing marilyn manson We'll get one. Mm. I'm guessing Johnny Depp will get one because, of course, Dan Fogler should get one.
1: Oh, absolutely. He
0: he earnest. I would listen to Dan Fogler read me a book. That that seems like it could be genuinely good. But but other than that, I don't know who who we could be seeing.
1: I I I'm you know I'll, I'll keep an eye out in my email um to see if we get invited to <laughs> read the Norbert chapter.
0: Yeah, wh- we were snubbed for this one. Honestly, I'm a little offended. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and I will do it in my normal voice and not in the Jordan Peterson voice, which I tried to do and then realized it was stupid and never put put up. That does exist. That is on my hard drive somewhere. Maybe one day I'll I'll get over my embarrassment and post it, but it was not good.
1: (laughs) That's very powerful.
0: (laughs) Speaking of things that are not good, I think it is time for us to transition into our film for this week.
1: Mm, What do you say? I love
0: the cinema. We love the cinema here at the Shrieking Shack.
1: Why? The, why the cinema look like that? Why?
0: That's well, what I I, I have some explicit answers for you for why. Oh,
1: thank God! I was gonna say you better have an answer. Why
0: for me. it look like that?
1: Why it look like that?
0: So we watched Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince, the sixth film in the Harry Potter series, uh, which came out in two thousand nine. It's another. I it, actually, it's the fir- third second. Second, I'm I'm smart. Second, of the David Yates joints, um, and it looks weird. Should we talk about that first? Should we get all that out of the way? I mean, it'll come. It'll it'll be coming up in our, our criticism, <laughs> but but it is it is part of the production lore here. Why it has such a distinct look?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that that was one of my biggest questions. Uh, coming away from this film is why it looked like that (laughs) so i'm i'm very eager to find to to hear an answer
0: well here is partially why it looked like that um half blood prince for those of you who have not watched it or don't remember it is a very soft film it has a lot of like light bloom and uh it sort of looks like they it, it, it like in when you got oblivion for the first time and you turned on that HDR setting and everything lit up really weird. It was uh, shot by the cinematographer Bruno Del Delbonnel, who, or Del Delbonnel, I can never pronounce it. He is my nemesis. <laughs> uh, I did not realize that he worked on this movie, but it makes perfect sense now. Um, he is a famous cinematographer uh, who make film look like that. Uh, he he loves to use color grading and digital aftertouching. He is he is famous for um, Amelie. That is that is the movie that he is kind of like most known for. He but he did stuff like Across the Universe and like all of the more recent bad Tim Burton movies and uh, a movie actually that I really like. He's worked with the Coen Brothers. Uh, Inside Lewin Davis I think is a fantastic film. But it, again, it has that problem where it looks like someone installed a like better graphics mod on it that just makes it look like (laughs) really soft and and bloomy but there to be fair to him it sounds like there was also a little bit of studio meddling the the movie as we see it is not what it looked like originally Uh, due to cinematographer bruno del banel's use of defocusing and soft wipes and digital Uh, In the digital grade, Warner Brothers asked director David Yates to add more color to the film. Yates. No, (laughs) no. Yates didn't want to lose the quote, very European look of the film. But after retouching the picture, he said, uh, we're happy with it. Um, So so I guess the studio did demand some changes. So that might also be why the colors are so fucking weird.
1: Oh, why it looked like that? Yeah.
0: So, so, yeah. It occasionally will look really good. There are some shots I think are fantastic in this movie um, and a few scenes that I think look look beautiful, But there is another piece to this puzzle that I think really hinders it, which is that mm-hmm. um, a bunch of the sets in this movie, and this is something that we noticed many, many, many times, uh, a m- bunch of the sets were fully CGI. And so you have a combination of like shooting with very like bloomy, Soft light and then having to replicate how that would bounce around a completely fabricated digital set and it just makes it look like shit a lot of the time. It's really noticeable.
1: I I will say that I am glad to have heard the story of why it looked like that, partially because I can get behind an artistic choice Mm -hmm. that I don't like more so (laughs) than just it look like that for stupid reasons Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. like like even though even though this is a cinematography call out post for for bruno here (laughs) um i i can respect a choice that is one that i personally do not like
0: yeah i mean there's, there's a there's an interesting quote here from him he said you know some of the sets are there uh since the first harry potter how could i light them in a different way the question brought another one based on the series itself i thought it would be interesting to have these very intimate stories amidst a very dark mood as if the school was its own dark character. That's why I suggested to go for this, uh, these dark moody variations of gray, which do not, which again, do not appear in the film. I would actually love that, right? If it was like more muted. Mm -hmm. Part of the problem is that the colors that they added digitally look awful, like really sickly and, 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 and grimy. Fortunately, David Yates and the producers uh, liked my idea and then there was one that I know, There, one of the scenes I do think looked quite good is, mm. is mentioned specifically here, which is uh, the cave scene. Uh, I wanted the light to have some sort of dynamism. I thought it would be interesting and more dramatic of the light was floating, circling above the characters' faces, sometimes lighting them, sometimes hiding them in a very random and unpredictable way. Which, I, when when we were watching the movie, I was like, this is lit like an interrogation scene in a cop movie. Yeah. Which I think uh-huh. is a really cool, creative choice. So there's there's uh-huh. bits and pieces where I'm like, oh, I really like how this looks. But for the majority of the movie, when it's just like, it's, it, you know, it's primarily these, like, composited CGI green screen backgrounds and these weirdly lit actors also a lot of actors who were not filmed at the same time here's another fun fact from the production like a bunch of these actors were filmed separately you mentioned this with um slughorn and hagrid Mm -hmm. in the scene they share because they wanted to make hagrid look bigger but that's not the only case where this happened there were scenes apparently with the main trio not being shot together which i yeah makes for which explains a lot of those weird shots where like uh, i i think the biggest one is i i need to go back and make sure but i think that um bellatrix and harry never actually appear in the same shot because she did all of her shooting a month before the film wrapped Oh, that's horrible! Yeah, so there's a lot of weird stuff like that in this movie. So, in some interesting production stuff in this that like partially explains why it looks so strange. But, uh, but yeah, so that 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 I think was was maybe the biggest, the first takeaway, right? It was just like, whoa, this looks weird uh, and much different from the last movie.
1: Yeah, and in my opinion, I think it just looks really bad. It does not it look good. Really, uh, to me, it is very ugly. I I appreciate hearing what his idea behind a lot of it was, Mm -hmm. but I don't think the execution conveys those ideas because to me, if I think of like a gloomy, moody Harry Potter film, I think of prisoner of Azkaban, which is a like, it's very dark and, Mm -hmm. um, and has a, a serious like gloomy mood to it. Mm. It's a, it's a Halloween movie, right? Um, this movie also gloomy, Like he says, I do agree with that, but it's not the kind of like cool, gloomy, (laughs) atmospheric feeling. It just feels yucky. That's how I would describe it. It's just like, it feels, um, it feels, it looks the way that it feels when like your socks are
0: wet. It's just like (laughs) icky. That's a really good way to put it. I, I have a history with this with this guy's work that I did I did not realize he worked on it I'm not a fan of Amelie I'm not a fan of uh the way that um Inside and Davis looks so there's already kind of like a personal just like I'm not not into this very digital look but the uh the parts that do look good in this movie I think look fantastic every now and then I caught a glimpse of like, oh, this is this is the idea shining through. Like there, there's there's a mention in this interview with with the guy where he talks about being inspired by Rembrandt paintings, mm. which I think is a like a really cool thing for a movie shot in a castle. And there are occasionally these great shots where it really does have that kind of like uh, chiaroscuro looking stuff, where it's like everything is black except for the light and the characters. Uh, and it's very kind of like dimly lit and and kind of has that like golden hour look to it. I think th- occasionally those scenes looked gorgeous, but the, for the majority of it, it just looks like an Xbox game. Like it looks like Fable or something. It's, it's
1: there, there are a lot of parts in the movie where the color grading and like the bloom and the soft focus it just legitimately like hurts my eyes yeah, to look at it's hard I'm sorry, to focus like i know it sounds kind of silly but i'm like I, it's it's as if you're watching something and you just can't focus your eyes all the way and your eyes are like trying to <laughs> do it and it's just like ouch it hurts
0: yeah yeah no i definitely definitely experienced that as well but uh now that we've kind of set the stage here and then and just sort of talked about like the broad way that it looks let's let's start getting through the movie itself. This is the one that opens with my favorite dumb Harry Potter movie change, which is the Death Eaters becoming flying kamikaze jets that destroy the Millennium Bridge.
1: <laughs> um, in movie canon, Voldemort taught all of his buddies to fly.
0: Yeah, not just Snape. Snape is no longer special. All of the, um, the Death Eaters can fly, including Fenrir Greyback, um, this scene sort of like establishes it's very dumb, but I will say it establishes something that I think is a good change in this film, which is this idea of like the death eater strike force. Um, because you have Bellatrix Fenrir and one of the caros zipping around doing, doing, uh, uh, uh wizard terrorism on the muggles and also blowing up a shop in Diagon Alley and taking all and whatever, like it it's very stupid and it and it raises a lot of questions about the timeline of Harry Potter now because the Millennium Bridge is there. hmm But uh uh I do think that the change to have a consistent enemy Death Eater group is good in this film. Yes. Yeah. I agree.
1: They definitely that that's definitely one of the parts where I there were a few moments in The movie where i'm like oh the the people that read it to adapt it thought the same thing that we did right like Mm -hmm. like oh we we have to we have to make the death eaters make sense
0: (laughs) yeah it's it's very validating honestly (laughs) i feel vindicated by this movie in some ways Mm -hmm. but yeah so so we get the the horrible cgi millennium bridge destruction we very quickly i actually only realized this uh, like like just skimming through the movie this morning for notes. But the the fact that um Lucius is an Azkaban is like just a flash in this scene as well. Uh because it is it is briefly mentioned by Narcissa in this scene with um with Snape, where they form the Unbreakable Vow and sort of hint at what Draco's up to this year. Mm. But that was like not an established thing. Thing in this film visually they just sort of like very quickly talk about it in in this very <laughs> i hate to say it ugly scene of uh narcissa and bellatrix visiting cgi upon green screen the famous village in london to see snape
1: it is really ugly and for no reason, why? Why could they just not have found a place to shoot this scene? Yeah, they're like, just outside. This gets
0: like one of the most frustrating parts of this film visually for me, and it is the obsession with symmetry, which I think is it is thematic, sort of. But the the village that they go to is like this industrial London town to visit mm-hmm. Snape, and. It is it is laid out like the the suburb from Edward Scissorhands, where it's all these identical houses in rows and like on like a grid, mm-hmm. and like that is I I guess thematically I understand what they're going for there, but like one, that's not what London looks like. You know, London is is notoriously not designed on a grid. That's a very American way of designing cities, but also. Again, it just looks bad. like it is it, it like it is a CGI matte painting of these identical houses that are kind of copy pasted going off into the distance and it is shot in this way to make you really notice how symmetrical and geometric it is. and it really like like when you talk about the darkness in the first or in, rather in the third Harry Potter movie, right it's very kind of like gnarled and and natural I guess is the cuz it's supposed mm-hmm. to be like ancient dark magic right yeah is the vibe and so this this weird focus on making everything look very rigid and clean and upright and sort of monolithic is it's an odd choice i i i and and it's a repeating theme in this film
1: do you think that this is the kind of marker where the graphic design of harry potter and like the synthesis of the brand image is comes through the most because that, because you saying that and saying like oh, it's very clean and monolithic, and it's not that kind of natural. Um, I would say like fairy tale illustrative mm-hmm. style. Um, that has carried over to like all of the merchandise, all of the like Mina Lima design yes. stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, it feels very designed, like capital D design. Like it, it is a graphic design heavy film. I I do understand, like I I'm not trying to like shit on like the the concept of like this art this artistic representation of like order, right? But I don't think it's an appropriate look for these films.
1: No, no, and I I just I think that that's just how Harry Potter looks from now on. (laughs) But I didn't notice as I was watching this. Yeah,
0: yeah. They they visit Snape in his very cool house, um, uh, and and form the Unbreakable Vow. Let's talk about acting. Uh, a little bit here. This is... I love acting. I love the cinema, and I love acting. Severus Snape. What a god. Well, Al- Alan Rickman as Severus Snape gets a lot more screen time in this film than I thought, which I guess makes sense because it is a film about him in a way, but he kind of goes right off the bat here just really vamping it up, and I loved it.
1: I love Snape. Everybody knows this. This is not a secret. <laughs> and I think Alan Rickman cast as Snape is kind of a weird direction for that character to be, mm-hmm. but I think that he is the most like I love book Snape and I also love movie Snape.
2: Yeah,
0: and
1: they feel so different mm-hmm. to me, but they they're both incredible. Alan Rickman, excellent.
0: Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he, like he's he's much much older than Snape should be in the book, right? But I, I think that he is he, he's such a different character here, but in a very in a way that's fun for film. Like he he is just always on if that makes sense like he's very prim and proper and and talks down to everyone and and is less mean i think in the films really
1: he just he speaks in the same monotone constantly yes it is it is so corny And not in a bad way. Yeah,
0: no, he's just, he's having a great time. And I have a great Mm -hmm. time watching it. What I do not have a great time watching is, is Helena Bottom Carter in this film. Did you feel a little
1: bit like, um, the monkey's paw curled, um, from us saying that we were like, oh, Bellatrix really should have been in... Book six, because obviously the last time we saw her, she'd killed Sirius. Um, she provides a, kind of a through line, or an anchor for the, like the Death Eater characters, and is someone who we care about. And we're like, oh, uh, maybe she should have been in, in like the climax of the book, or or come in earlier, because she's a character that we care about. Mm-hmm. And but having Helena Bottom Carter be Bellatrix in the movie um, both felt like the screenwriters were on the same page as us, but also terrible casting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it it was like, it was simultaneously like vindicating. And also like you say, like the monkey's paw curled, like, like, Oh, this means that like the screenwriters agreed with us, but it does mean that we have to see more Bellatrix in the film. And, and we hadn't really grappled with what that means. I think, um,
1: (sighs) it, it, you know, I understand. I I think that in Order of the Phoenix, which was not a great film, um, but obviously Bellatrix is. I mean, she kills Sirius in that movie. She has like a major part to play, mm-hmm. and and it may not be to my taste. Um, the Helena Bonham Carter thing um the the character actor that she is mm-hmm. is not my favorite but I'm like okay well that's what they went with mm-hmm. um she overacted this movie every single scene just just absolutely like bowl in a china shop <laughs> any other thing that is happening in this... the movie and none of the scenes are ever about her
0: yeah this scene with the with the unbreakable vow is about snape because um, he is caught in the lie right and he has to, yep. he has to make a big decision uh, on the spot about what what to do about this predicament he's in uh, uh, pretending to you know be lord Voldemort's faithful right-hand man versus being Dumbledore's spy right like it, it, mm-hmm. it is Snape's scene um,
1: yeah and he gets some kind of fun lines yeah. where he is telling the truth or rather like the things he he is saying are true um, about his relationship with Dumbledore, but he is saying it to them as Voldemort. And I think that's like kind of fun
0: and clever. Yes. Yeah. He, he is choosing his words very carefully in this scene where he Mm -hmm. he says, Oh, I have, I, I, I serve the, uh, uh, you know, the, the strongest wizard of our age or whatever. And (laughs) he's, he's, he's picking and choosing his words very carefully. It's great. But like he's being very quiet and understated because you know that's that's him, right? Um, he's he's a he is a quiet, stoic, uh, over the top, corny guy, and it's great. Mm-hmm. But like you say, Bellatrix is just steamrolling him in this scene. Uh, yeah, he, she is. Uh, she's going up and down like this, and oh, well, won't you, won't you make the unbreakable vow? Like, just she is doing like uh uh like fantasy quest giver dialogue here in a really funny uh-huh. way and she's like she's moving around the scene she's like licking her sister's face because narcissa's there she's like touching snape it's just ridiculous
1: it's really weird because there's this this whole like you know um like back and forth like it, it lo- we look at snape and we look at um narcissa and and those two actors are are like very calm right mm-hmm. it's it's a qu- it's a quiet scene outside of what what Bellatrix is doing and it's and and they're making it like they are looking at each other and kind of reacting and playing off of each other mm-hmm. again very quietly but then it's just like Helena Bonham Carter is just there yelling the whole time
0: <laughs> it's really funny. it's like it's like she is like you know, we, we talked about how a lot of these actors were filmed separately. And, you know, this this was obviously the three of them filmed together. Um, but it f- sure feels like she's, like, being pasted in from a different movie. Like, you have these two very studious-looking actors who are, like, you know, they're acting entirely with their eyes staring at each other in this mm-hmm. very tense scene. And then you have this other character just sort of, like, jumping around going, like, blah, 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 ooga-booga. Just, like... It's like people trying to phase, like, the um, the like guards outside Buckingham Palace or something. <laughs> like, these mm-hmm. these two very stoic people having to deal with this child, like, jumping up and down and waving her hands in front of them. It's really, really silly. Uh, fun fact, the actress who plays Narcissa in this series was originally supposed to play Bellatrix, which is <laughs> odd to think about. Right? Like, like Why
1: did they do Narcissa's hair like Cruella Deville?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a weird choice. I mean, it's at least I know
1: I know it's the black and white, yeah, symmetry thing. But it's just it's weird.
0: Yeah, it's it's certainly a look. Um, but yeah, so so this is a kind of our first taste of Bellatrix just going off a little bit. We finally see Harry. He is chilling in the london underground reading the daily prophet and uh, a sexy waitress notices him and is like is like hey harry potter uh uh why don't you why don't you call me sometime um and he's like cool i will but then we see through the window dumbledore is here to collect harry we've got to talk about symbolism this is going to be a running theme in this episode I love symbolism. we yeah,'re big fans of symbolism here. Dumbledore appears standing in front of a like shop window uh, across the way in this like underground uh, uh, station with like kind of like a shopping center attached to it. And the window has painted on it. Uh, divine magic uh, is 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 uh, in huge letters right next to to Dumbledore. And then above that, um, I'm, I'm assuming is some sort of slogan that's like something, you know, uh, surprise your man or something, mm. but it is blocked out. So it just says our man. Mm. Uh, it is really not subtle. Um, and it holds this shot, because he's just standing there. This is also, <laughs> the, the stage direction in this film is very funny. Were you noticing how many characters were, like, just standing with their arms at their sides in this film, waiting for people to talk to them?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That is a running theme yes. here. And, and here appears Dumbledore just standing, arms at his sides, not doing anything. I guess just to, like, Slenderman spook Harry, who is... <laughs> Is chilling in this in this coffee shop,
1: mm-hmm. and Harry gets to look over, like, "Oh yeah, that's that's my magic man. He's that's, here.
0: That's our man. I know
1: this. I know this magic man.
0: <laughs> I know the magic man. He's here to collect me." This is sort of where we get one of the first. This film really again, Mon- the Monkey's Paw is a, is a is a powerful magical object that has cursed us for the, for this film mm-hmm. because they try and make Dumbledore and Harry's relationship more um platonic in this which i think is good on paper and there are some scenes where i think it works better than than others but the for the first half of this movie it seems to be that dumbledore has been trying to build a rapport with harry by asking if he's got his dick wet yet Mm -hmm. and it's so bad (laughs) like i just cut these out of the film for the love of god
1: yeah, it was like they couldn't figure out a- another way to make their relationship matter without having Dumbledore just show up and be like, "I'm your father figure now."
0: Yeah, like yeah, yeah, like it, like it's clearly supposed to be father figure, but also I think these the like the, the things that he says I think would be inappropriate for a father figure as well because they're so specific. Because like every time you know you know we'll, we'll get to one later in this film, every time Harry hangs out with Dumbledore in this, he he asks him. Like, hey, so are you, are you seeing that girl I just saw you hanging out with? Like really, but like, but like really inappropriately, uh, uh, in a very like inappropriately detailed way, I guess. Like he, he meant, he talks about the, the waitress and he's like, oh, she was exceedingly pretty. Uh, uh, and I bet, I bet I'm interrupted. I bet you were going to have some fun tonight, Harry, wink, wink or whatever. And it's like, okay, man. Like, you're, you're like 150. Chill out.
1: It's, I I mean, I guess I, I applaud their attempt to make that relationship matter. But it is funny that it just acts like that was their relationship this whole time.
0: Yeah, because Harry's not like, yeah, Harry is never like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, lay off. He, he, he just talks to Dumbledore. And I guess part of it, I guess, is like you—you've got to make do with what you have when you're making a movie, right? Like if—if if something's got to change for the sake of the story, better to do it than not do it.
2: Mm-hmm. But it
0: makes so many of these scenes bizarre. Like, so you know, Dumbledore has has arrived to take Harry to see Slughorn, but the conversation they have on the way to see Slughorn is so casual, um, in a way that it was not in the book. You know, in, in the book, we were commenting about how. Oh, this is primeval Dumbledore, because Dumbledore is just like dominating these conversations, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, like just only saying uh, uh things that he wants to say and and uh being very dismissive of Harry if he's asking questions that he doesn't want to answer. Um whereas here, they're like wandering to to Slughorns, and you know, Dumbledore just makes some comment about like like Hey, like like I I bet this I this looks enchanted to me or whatever. Are you surprised? And 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 Harry in, in a thing, I love Daniel Radcliffe in this film. He was mm-hmm. fantastic, but like in one of the weirdest line reads of this film, he just sort of like deadpans like honestly, this has been going on for so long. I just don't I, I'm you know, I can't even get surprised anymore or something. Like he just sort of like sighs this line out um and the, it's it's such a weird uh 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 Unguarded conversation these two characters have.
1: Yeah, it also makes me feel like I'm going crazy because I'm like, we've never done this before. <laughs> also, also like ninety eight percent of the other stuff that the, the way Dan Daniel Radcliffe acts is is acting he he does the same gimmick that harry did in the first movie where he's just amazed by how cool magic is yeah, right so this yeah, is such a I, weird like ah i'm used to it by now this is nothing but he still plays the rest of it as if he is he is that same like first movie oh i'm in awe of all this cool magic and thank stuff.
0: god for that like, oh yeah yeah like like he, he most of the time his portrayal of Harry is such a breath of fresh air compared to what I remember from this book um, mm-hmm. he is he is really fun in this film um so they they collect slughorn Slughorn is the chair he's a big CGI chair and he you know they he he pops out um what do you think of Slughorn in this film
1: um I th- they completely changed his character I think yes um but I but like a lot of the characters in the film, I just kind of appreciate what they bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Like, I I appreciate movie Slughorn on his own, but I don't think that that was the intent or, like, how I read the character at all.
0: Yeah, he's, um... Uh... He it's it's difficult right cuz like he he is such a different character which is in a way a little disappointing just because of how i think slughorn in the book is one of the best parts right like he is he is so disarming um and charming but also sinister um mm-hmm. in, in a way that i think is is uh is, is fantastic um and here he is like a little more doddering right like he's a little more his his link to uh to to tom riddle and you know the evil of slytherin or whatever is it seems more accidental or circumstantial which i think washes the character's hands a bit in a really interesting way um but nonetheless it is like a super fun performance so i'm i'm kind of mixed on it
1: I I enjoy the performance a lot. I think the Horcrux stuff in the movie um, is kind of weird because you're right, the way that the performance is. And, And the other thing, and this doesn't super matter, but I don't think the movie ever mentions that he was a Slytherin.
0: No, I don't think so.
1: I don't think that ever comes up. So you're totally right. It all just, it it feels like it was all an accident, right? He didn't do anything wrong. There is a line in there where he says like, oh, this will ruin me. Mm -hmm. But it is very much just like, oops, he didn't know, you know, like he didn't really do anything wrong. All of the slug club stuff is, is like way, way different other than some kind of literal lines that Dumbledore says. It's much more, um, kind of neutered to just be him. Like, oh, here's some photos I have of some friends, right? That I that I have made, and like, oops, I accidentally said, told Voldemort what a Horcrux was, but I, but I didn't know it. But that kind of has this weird effect that I. I can't imagine being a movie only watcher and understanding what, what the gravity of Horcruxes are at all.
0: Yeah, there's, there's that. And, and the, the removal of him as like a powerful Slytherin, um, just shifts the, the responsibility a bit. And I think the most telling line for this is when, um, like, I can't remember, even remember what, it, what it is that, uh, Slughorn says that makes Harry say, like, oh, one of my best friends is muggleborn. And the way that Slughorn reacts to that feels like genuinely upset that he's offended Harry. Like, he's like, oh, oh you know, he's like, oh my God, no, like, you must assume I'm prejudiced. Like, oh, I, no, I didn't mean it that way. Like, it's much more like, oops, I said something insensitive, which is mm-hmm. not how it is in the book, right? It, it is. In in the in the book it is like, oh n- no, I'm not prejudiced. I just think of them differently. Like it's much more calculated. Um, whereas he seems like genuinely worried that he has upset Harry and said something offensive in this scene. Um I,
1: I think that's a really interesting um like conversation that he has in the movie because the line that he says to Harry that Harry then kind of questions him on is lifted maybe almost word for word from the book mm-hmm. but because slughorn the movie character is so different it is as if movie slughorn is responding to book slughorn and apologizing on <laughs> book slughorn's yeah. behalf
0: yeah that's a really good way to put it and i, and I think that that because that that doesn't that doesn't completely absolve him but it's much more like Old, like, like you know, this this is something that I think is very relatable, and I think that this is what makes the character still work in the film. Um, of the like, old person who means well but still says a lot of shit that's like old, bad old habits, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, that that that's still a very interesting character angle for him, but it is it is just much more sympathetic than the book, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, which is, you know, he he is very calculated in his um, in his treatment of everyone, right? Um, which makes it all the weirder that when they're walking away from Slughorn's place, that Dumbledore just like word for word tells him the character development from the book version, which makes Dumbledore feel like kind of an asshole <laughs> in a weird way because like you just sort of like see this bumbling old guy who who's just kind of um, uh, uh, sweet and just you know perhaps uh uh uh, old-fashioned and then dumbledore's like oh this guy he he just like gives the whole like oh this guy's a fucking spider he's gonna he's gonna collect you blah 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 and you don't really get that sense that slughorn is is quite as sinister here um as dumbledore says
1: no and it is a recurring theme for me watching this movie where i am engaged in the way the changes were made in the film. And then mm-hmm. it's like, all of a sudden it has to be lassoed back and a character has to deliver in a monotone exposition <laughs> from the book that, that really is just very incongruent w- with what's going on in the movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It The, the moments where this has to be exactly like the book are the weakest. And like, the, you know, that's all the Horcrux stuff. That's, uh, that's um, some of the romance stuff that we will get to in a bit. Um, and also fred and george who appear very briefly but they are in um uh this diagonal oh actually i guess i guess before we get to that um once once harry has left slughorn with dumbledore uh they go to the burrow and i think that this part is maybe one of the strongest parts of the film like this mm-hmm. first this first burrow scene um yeah. i think it's the first part where like the visual style works um, because I love the way that the the burrow is lit here at night. It, it looks very cozy and charming. Um, mm-hmm. We get that incredible shot of like from the ground looking up the Weasley burrow staircase, mm-hmm. and like first Molly looks over and is like, "Oh, it's Harry," and then Ron looks over. And is like, oh, it's Harry, and then like Hermione looks up, like it's, and then Ginny, and it just goes all the way up this this staircase. It's really, really cute. Um, one of the few moments where I was like, oh, the visuals in this really are charming.
1: Yeah, it do- it has its moments. There are good ideas there. Yeah,
0: this this um, was very cute. Um, and <laughs> then after that, we immediately get a scene which ruins that illusion, where clearly emma watson and rupert grint are being filmed on one set and then harry is being filmed on another set um or on on green screen because whenever it cuts back to harry it looks like shit it is like he it looks like a zoom background and then whenever it cuts to ron and hermione it looks great um but they're like up in the attic and they're having this conversation and they're Burning a newspaper for warmth for some reason. I'm not sure why that's there, <laughs> other than to have the, like ominous zoom in on the newspaper about like uh, Death Eater attacks or whatever.
1: I mean, this is maybe maybe the funniest moment in the movie. There are a lot of funny moments, but at the very tail end of this conversation, I don't even know. I guess. Harry is saying that it's weird that Dumbledore's hand is messed up or something, and the, and the teens all sit around and go like, "Oh, he's not old. He's just one hundred and fifty, right? He'll never die." <laughs> Zoom in on the on the newspaper with yeah. sinister music playing.
0: Yeah, Dumbledore
1: will never die. Ha ha ha. Yeah,
0: Dumbledore will live forever. Ho ho ho. Zooming in on on ominous uh, burning newspaper. Yeah, that that was. <laughs> That's a choice. There are some choices in this, uh, in regards to foreshadowing. Um, one of my favorite ones is this scene with Fred and George in, in Diagon Alley, because the way that the Peruvian darkness powder is used in this film is different from the book. And it is in a way that I find fucking hilarious because we were goofing. Like when, when this happens, when when they, (laughs) when they visit Fred and George and, you know, we see them, uh, uh, creeping on the ladies and talking about love potions, and then they swing over to Harry, and and he's like looking at some stuff. And they're like, "Oh, Peruvian darkness powder, really, uh, really useful if you need to make a quick, quick escape." And and I was like, "We we were both sort of like, oh, I wonder if that'll come up later, because <laughs> of course that that is a big part of the book is that uh, 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 Draco threw a smoke and uh, and ran up to the Astronomy Tower." Yeah. However, we were bamboozled. Because it is used immediately after this when they are on the train.
1: Well, of course, and Harry's the one that uses it. He flashbangs the train. Yeah,
0: he throws a flashbang on the train because he <laughs> thinks Draco's being suspicious. I love it. the the Draco subplot is so much better here, um, both unironically and ironically. I think because so while they're when when they are in Fred and George's joke shop. They then leave, and then they see Draco. Actually, no, they don't even... We don't even see Draco. There is a shot of them, like, leaving the store and then going to the store that blew up in the intro and walking into it for some... Like, they just, like, walk into a crime scene.
1: It's really weird. (laughs) I don't understand why they just go in there. I I think that there's someone says something and i don't think i heard what the character says but they're just like standing in there being like oh shame this boy <laughs> yeah,
0: it's like everyone got, got their wants from olivander um and then ron like looks off camera and just says draco and mommy don't look like they want to be followed but we like we don't see them until like three cuts late. there's some really weird stuff here Um, Mm -hmm. presumably again, because not all the actors could be on, on, on set at once. Um, so then Harry, Ron and Hermione do an Assassin's Creed rooftop run through (laughs) Nocturne Alley following, (laughs) following Draco and Narcissa to Borgen and Burks, which is now a like three story mansion buried deep Uh within the, um within Nocturne Alley, right which is very dumb but it does at least set up one we see the other vanishing cabinet
1: i'm i'm a little bit bummed out that they didn't use the visual gag of harry trying to see what malfoy is looking at and going like i can't see him behind this huge cabinet <laughs> i can't see him behind mm-hmm. this huge suspicious cabinet yeah I, I i think i think that would have worked pretty well yeah Um, for a movie because i think you can do a very funny like visual gag there Mm -hmm. um and then obviously you're anchored later on seeing the other cabinet that draco's working on so it just doesn't get dropped Mm -hmm. um but i do appreciate that they did establish the cabinet also fenrir is there yes
0: fenrir and bellatrix and narcissa are all hanging out so we 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 have like like we were constantly asking for in the books, we're like, I want to see the lieutenants like being around, right? Like, I, mm-hmm. I want to see these characters like hovering around the margins of the story. So when they appear to fight, it's a big deal, right? Um, um, but Harry is obviously immediately suspicious of Draco. There's a very bizarre scene on the train where they are, um, first of all, they are traveling through an incredibly huge CGI wasteland uh on the train. Um, it looks
1: like there there's a shot where it zooms out and I just legitimately was like, oh there's just gonna be a train robbery. Like some <laughs> some Western bandits are gonna ride up on their horses. Yeah, it
0: was very spaghetti western. Um but uh there's this bizarre scene where we it is established that um Hermione and Ron, despite this time like doing the Assassin's Creed run and watching Finrear Greyback and Draco hang out, disbelieve that Draco's up to anything, because Harry says, like, it's happened, the initiation, or whatever. (laughs) And they're like, no, 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 no way. Harry is not convinced, he sees Draco walking by, and that's the first appearance of the beautiful waiter suit. It is... It It is...
1: It looks... Even more incredible than I was imagining. He's looking um,
0: crispy in this film.
1: He has a briefcase. He has a briefcase that has the Hogwarts logo on
2: it. <laughs> <laughs> he,
0: he is looking fresh as hell. The Draco drip is uh, is quite powerful in this. His
1: tie is so huge.
0: Is <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Harry tosses a smoke... <laughs> uh and puts on the invisibility cloak and gets up on the luggage rack um just like in the in the book we don't quite see a flip we just see the, the you know the confusion following the 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 peruvian darkness powder um, oh can you
1: imagine though because we we see the uh fully cgi uh bodies during the quidditch game if, if oh, harry yeah. had been walking and just done a cgi flip <laughs> into
0: the luggage I compartment wish, i wish he had done a flip um, so of course we get the uh, we get the Draco curb stomp shot exactly like a Tarantino movie. Of course, um, mm-hmm. big big change here that I think is really good. After Draco leaves, it's Luna that finds him. Thank um, God. Which yeah, which is so much better than having Tonks randomly be on the train. Um, there's a lot of good stuff with Luna in this movie. The general vibe to this film, like one of the major changes that I find really interesting. Is that it? Kind of has like harem anime storytelling in the mm. in a lot of this stuff, mm-hmm. and that Harry is coming into contact with all of these different uh, uh, minor characters who are like potential love interests for him, mm-hmm. who do something for him or like comment about his looks or like you know how how worthy he is as as a as a man or whatever that are just really really feel like they are trying to stoke some flames between multiple characters and Harry, which I think is an interesting change. Um, I won't say it's like a, like a great change because I think that carries its own problems. But like, I think because Ginny is so boring, I enjoyed these like diversions solely because it was a chance for Harry to like bounce off of a different, more dynamic character. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah.
1: I think so. Although I think that Daniel Radcliffe has more chemistry with both the actress that plays Luna and Emma Watson mm-hmm. than, than he does with, with Bonnie, Wright.
0: Oh yeah. I, I like this scene with Luna. Uh, uh, so she finds him and she, like you know, <laughs> and we get, we get our, our other new major theme in this film, which is, it, it is about the TSA. Cause they, they go, uh, they, they go up to the castle but they're being stopped by filch and flitwick who are uh, who are doing uh airport inspections on every student coming in um and while this is happening luna comments on on harry's broken nose because you know obviously uh he got he got stomped by draco while this is happening in the background by the way we see snape handing draco a cane so not only does he have a briefcase he has a cane. Uh, so Draco is just fucking on one in this film, but Luna says to Harry, like, oh, I think it gives you a sort of devil may care roguish look, Mm -hmm. this broken nose of yours. Then she fixes his nose with, with a pisky or whatever the spell is. (laughs) And when he asks her like, oh, how do I look now? She says perfectly normal or, or, or perfectly boring or whatever. (laughs) It's really cute. It's a great scene, but it really does feel like it is trying to, establish something between luna and harry that that unfortunately never happens right
1: yeah i mean i don't think luna has anything to do in this movie does she
0: there she is she is there for another very cute scene later on mm-hmm. um, but as far as like getting to do something for herself not really unfortunately I
1: mean, even in the book you know, she's such a huge loser that she was looking at her <laughs> DA coin, but she, it's not as if she got to be in the climax of the movie.
0: Yes, yeah. Uh that that does not happen here, unfortunately. Uh Harry and Ron are just fucking goofing, I guess. Um they they're there's a shot that I do think is is actually really excellent once they're at Hogwarts, which is all of the Hogwarts students milling about they're like all first years or whatever and then it's just a shot of like drake or not draco uh uh, harry and ron being very tall and standing above them and sort of laughing at them like just bullshitting Mm -hmm. uh this is when uh uh, mcgonagall appears to tell them that they got to take they got to do something with their free period um and and you know send them to slughorn's class but i do really like um Th- this shot of, like, Harry and Ron looming over all the 11-year-olds, just, like, <laughs> just, like, being, being the, like, the rude upperclassmen. I think that's a yeah. a, 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 a cute scene. However, you notice this, and now I can't get out of my head, the continuing, like, modernization of all the wardrobe in this series, and how there are, like, modern backpacks on some of the kids walking by. In the- I hate it. It's r-
1: I I am sympathetic to like some of the actors in the movie, be, like the main characters being teens and not wanting to wear like dorky wizard robes mm-hmm. in the cool mo- the cool blockbusters that they get to be in. Like I I'm, I am sympathetic to wanting to wanting to look cool in a movie, especially at the age of like sixteen to eighteen. <laughs> I do not think that the random. Extras in the crowd should have just, like, regular Jansport yeah. backpacks.
0: Yeah, it's weird. And I, I think the movie that I think struck the perfect balance with this is the third one, where mm-hmm. they're wearing the robes most of the time, but then when they are hanging out in, like, the grounds on the weekend or Christmas or whatever, they're wearing normal clothes. I think that that is a good – because that there's a way to do that where it – both separates, like, what the scene is supposed to be and also, like, provides a little characterization, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, this is what they wear when they, when they can wear whatever they want. Whereas here, the, as the series goes on, it just feels more and more like Hogwarts has no dress code. which right. Which is a bizarre thing to do in a series that is supposed to be a boarding school fantasy.
1: Yeah, and, and, I, and I guess it's, like, kind of beating a dead horse because I know that we've talked about this a lot. But the choice... Um to have like the main characters wear muggle clothes, a lot of in a lot of ways that can make sense, um, like culturally speaking, mm-hmm. with like muggle muggle clothes and being more like accepting of of muggle fashion, um, and maybe showing that people who aren't, like the Death Eaters, wouldn't be. But then Draco's just wearing a suit <laughs> and has a briefcase in this
0: movie. Right. Yeah, like as much as I love Draco's waiter suit, it is I think a missed opportunity thematically to, cause like, yeah, like you say, like the death eaters should have a much more medieval worldview, right? Like mm-hmm. that's the whole deal. Uh, whereas the, the, um, uh, uh, the, you know, the, the rest of the wizards who are, are maybe a little more open to like muggle, muggle culture and, and muggle borns and whatnot would not be so stressed about like wearing only wizard clothes. And, it, like, it feels so obvious, and it's weird that it is – for for a film that has a lot of – that takes every opportunity to have very obvious symbolism in it, mm-hmm. weird that they didn't opt to do that one, which just feels, like, pre-made from the books, honestly.
1: Yeah, and I guess they kind of went for it, in a, like, sort of, in making Draco be more formal. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that really works no. very well.
0: No, I I think that it, it kind of works on a very surface level read like that. But it, it's one of those things where if you think about it too much, it really should be the opposite.
1: Yeah, and, and frankly, he just looks weird. Like he just really, and, and not in a way that makes sense, but his his wardrobe is, it is such a strange choice to put him in an Olive Garden waiter suit that he just, <laughs> he sticks out like a sore thumb and you're just, you can't help but ask the question, like, why is he wearing that? <laughs>
0: Uh oh, what do you think of the first slughorn class this is where we get the uh, the liquid lock and we get the the the, the bean crushing how did, how did you feel about this this adaptation
1: I think it's cute. It, it's a little, it harkens back a little bit to me, the like Order of the Phoenix montage style. Like there's some like mischievous music playing and, and Hermione is getting like more and more haggard trying to follow the rules. I do like the line um, where it makes the book plot before it goes completely off the rails in this movie. It much more is like, Hermione is letter of the law and she wants to follow what the book says. And so when Harry says like, oh, you got to, you got to smash the bean. Don't cut the bean. Uh, She, she like won't, won't listen or won't do it. Um, So I thought it was a cute scene. I I love the line of um, Harry making his potion perfectly and Slughorn saying like really casually and offhanded, like, Oh, I dare say a drop of this could kill us all. (laughs) Congratulations. Like I, I enjoy the return to that kind of like, hogwarts like goofy fairy tale sinister stuff
0: mm-hmm. yeah I, I i do really like the shot of him testing the potion by dropping a leaf in it and just watching it disintegrate immediately mm-hmm. there's, yeah. there's there's some very fun stuff in here um uh there's uh a, a, a moment here that is very funny but i think works as a specifically a film callback Mm-hmm. Which is after the class is over, after he's won the Felix Felicis, he turns around holding the Halfwood Prince book and it plays like this ominous like dun 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 stinger as it like zooms in on it. And it's <laughs> very stupid, but it at least creates a immediate parallel between that book and the the diary from book two. it
1: was was such a good choice
0: yeah and 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 the 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 diary from book two is also like a a reoccurring um visual in this film as well because in i think in every scene um that takes place in Doubler's office he's seen either looking at it or like closing a drawer and you see the evil book so it, it it is it is one of those choices that i think is like it is dumber in that it is making things very black and white but i think it is perfect for a short movie made out of a long book right where it's like okay Mm -hmm. yes just just establish that yes the book is bad there's another bad book that we remember this this plot line it's ring theory it's repeating itself right like i think that was a good choice Mm -hmm. now we get the first pensive scene these, unfortunately, I do not think are an improvement over the book. <laughs> I think I think these are unsalvageable. Yeah, what are you
1: going to do, though?
0: Yeah, unsalvageable. Just not have... Yeah, you, you would have <laughs> to not have this subplot in here, which unfortunately I think is un- impossible. Um, this is the scene where uh, Dumbledore asks Harry, Oh, you're spending a lot of time with Hermione. Uh, what's up with that? Uh, and it's very inappropriate and weird.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Uh, a very, very... Just... Just just uh, swinging a miss on this relationship building between uh, Harry and Dumbledore. But we get this scene where Dumbledore shows in the pensive him visiting young Tom Riddle, uh, the lead actor from the hit film after, by the way. Um, and who fucking boy this scene, uh, they they really doubled down on the um, Tom Riddle was a uh, mentally ill psycho. Uh, in in this one, which is unfortunate. Yeah, this kid's a Ted Bundy. There, yeah this this kid is a little is a little Hitler from the get go. Um, the way that the asylum is b- designed, again, very uh, uh, or it's, it's an orphanage. He's afraid of going to an asylum, but this orphanage is is like shot in this very clinical orderly again like very monolithic way it's very geometric it's very it's it's a weird choice and I I just don't think it was the right one but this scene between Dumbledore and young Tom Riddle is very funny because even in this film where they have said okay yes we are doubling down on evil child Tom Riddle it is inescapable how sinister Voldemort or how sinister Dumbledore is in this story because when Tom Riddle sell- tells him to prove that he's a wizard, he, while horrifying music plays, <laughs> sets his wardrobe on fire, and just mm-hmm. very calmly says, I think there's something in your wardrobe that wants to get out, Thomas. Like, really? <laughs> it's so scary! So that's that's interesting, at the very least. Uh, but, but another feature is in a movie that is already so soft that you kind of have to squint to see what's going on they put another filter over these scenes the pensive scenes mm-hmm. ugliest shit in the world it's so bad it has a green color filter there's bloom it's blurry it looks like it's running on medium settings it is terrible
1: yeah it's really hard to look at i'm glad that it Um, they basically put no effort into making these pensive memories make any sense or make the movie care about them at all, so they just go by really fast.
0: Yeah. They're doing the bare minimum with them, which is understandable, um, but still a bummer because uh, uh, they they have to be there at all, right? Because I think even boiled down to the the most essential pieces, these scenes are not interesting or or good. Um, What I do find a lot better in this is the Quidditch stuff with Ron um, which happens right after this. These are very homoerotic films. Yes, When Order of the Phoenix felt like Harry, uh, meaning a collection of men in his life that he had intimate connections with and had to choose between this film gives him an anime harem of girls to do that with. Ron yeah. in this film uh, is the one who is uh, constantly at odds with and comparing himself to, and having these uh, weirdly emotionally raw scenes with a bunch of men. This scene mm-hmm. with him and McLaggen, where it's like trying to contrast, it's tr- it's trying it, like the way it's shot is actually really funny. Where it's like the Chad McLaggen versus the the virgin Ron Weasley. <laughs> Like McClaggan's like a full foot taller than him, and he's like very handsome, and he's like uh, you know he's he's preening, and Ron is like standing there very awkwardly, looking like a goofball. But this scene just plays like flirting between them. Oh yeah, it does. Because Ron, Ron is just like, oh, I thought you were gonna be a, you know, aren't you more of a chaser, and and you know, a you keeper. You've got to be strong like me, which I love. Unfortunately, McClaggan just sort of disappears uh, until one other than one scene later um but i would have loved to have seen more interplay between these two characters
1: McLogan d- gets to do the cool guy movie uh maneuver which is to catch a fly out of the air with <laughs> your bare hand um except they didn't actually like put the fly in you just hear buzzing and then he reaches out and grabs nothing and the and buzzing, the buzzing stops. stops
0: yeah it's it's very good in A very stupid way and i i think that these are the moments that this film does best is this sort of like teen comedy stuff um uh like this this uh this happens again with the with the slug club right like there are moments where this just becomes like super bad Mm -hmm. and i think those might actually be the strongest parts of the film you know ron makes quidditch captain and lords over McLogan. that's really fun when they actually have the quidditch game which the quidditch game itself awful looks terrible has a bunch of hilarious cgi ragdolls flying around uh and and, like falling off their brooms or whatever but the scene after the the game where ron has um has won and is like looking very cool and he's sitting like trundle uh uh, in a big couch with his legs (laughs) spread apart and there's like, for some reason, there's like prodigy or something playing in the in the common room. <laughs> like, well, of course, they're, they're just listening to cool teen music. It is. There are some moments like that that I think are really fantastic, um, mm-hmm. uh, and and I think that that's um, uh, that that is a saving grace in this film for sure. Uh, the Slug Club, though, which happens kind of after this, is. I think singularly one of my favorite scenes in this film, and I don't even know that it's because it's good. It, it just sticks out really interestingly. Mm-hmm. The premise of the Slug Club in this film is much less that it is like the cool, like the like the cool rich kids club to for Slughorn to get um, uh, uh, information and and and, and kind of like connections out of these kids. Um, the first one that takes place is like an ice cream social. Like they're mm-hmm. literally just all eating ice cream and and chatting. Um, Hermione gets to explain what a dentist is in a very good... There's some incredible awkward dialogue in this uh, that I think is really funny. The second slug club scene, it's like a... It, it's really hard to explain. It's like he's got students as waiters... He's got music playing. It is surreal, and I think that both of these Slug Club scenes are are some of the best parts of the film, um, especially because we get like peak Daniel Radcliffe in these scenes. Mm-hmm. We get Dan, Daniel Radcliffe. What a treasure! What they lucked out so hard when they cast Daniel.
1: He's so charming.
0: He's he is so charming. He's so disarming. He's. Um, He's like he's like funny, but he's not like um uh the annoying marvel jokester type of funny. He says stuff that like no other characters find funny, really <laughs> um he is constantly saying stuff and getting like yelled at or like hit on the nose with a newspaper saying <laughs> like it is he he's just a dork and it's very charming and this scene where he gets McClagan, who he does not like to uh eat those those hors d'oeuvres or whatever then snape comes in to tell harry very awkwardly by the way in another <laughs> beautiful snape scene where he's just like eyeing everyone around him he looks very uncomfortable he's like oh dumbledore is on vacation he says enjoy your christmas break um and uh when McLagan uh uh was was there he was like eating these hors d'oeuvres and he's like oh what are these and harry tells him that they were dragon balls (laughs) and then he barfs all over snape's shoes when he appears like it is so stupid but it is perfect it's so good i wish that the film was always having this much fun
1: (laughs) it's it is remarkable how much fun it manages to have so much so that, again, it's, like, every time it has to go back to to getting back on the rails of the book, mm-hmm. all the characters start delivering the lines in, like, a monotone that makes no sense, and it feels much more like, okay, let's get to the good stuff again. Because the setups and, like, the little teen moments that the film added are just all so good.
0: Right, yeah, like, the, the, the scene after this where... um uh uh uh, katie bell gets cursed is such a good (laughs) example of this like we have this incredibly hilarious and like 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 over the top stuff with quidditch and we have the the slug club scene and everything feels whimsical and it kind of has that like teen movie edge to it then when katie gets cursed it becomes like a found footage movie very briefly (laughs) um with like the ridiculous cgi body getting jerked around and her like hilarious scream it's so unscary what happens here uh because it just happens so fast and so like cheesy looking i and and, and like all the characters seem fairly nonplussed Hagrid appears out of nowhere and is like stand back everyone i got this uh and and just seems like bored that he has to do this uh you know help this child um and then when Harry and Ron and Hermione are like presenting the necklace that they found to McGonagall Snape is there too and it just feels like these characters want to leave the scene like hmm like i find it interesting that they had harry accuse draco in front of snape because like obviously snape knows the truth and knows that draco is involved in something so i, I appreciate that idea but like this it, this this very stoic back and forth where harry says like it's draco he's up to something and snape says that is a serious accusation do you have any proof and harry goes no i just know and then snape says oh I see, you just know, do you? And then they sort of stare at each other and then the scene ends. <laughs> and it's like, well, that could have been a bit more kinetic, I think.
1: Yeah, it's really weird. I mean, even the part where Hagrid is, is like dealing with the aftermath of, of Katie Bell being cursed. Um, Like you said, he, he acts very bored. Uh, but at the, but there's this part where he tells Harry, Rodder, Hermione, get the necklace and bring it to Dumbledore. Don't touch it though. Only touch the packaging. You got it. And it's like he's, it's like he's reading from a script. Like he does this every week. <laughs> Why does Hagrid know anything about this? It's, it's like really Westworld. bizarre.
0: It's like Westworld, where like a like the robot Hagrid host has appeared to like to to start your adventure for these characters. Yeah. It's really, yeah. It's very odd. Um. Uh. But so you know what? Something that is you know, part of the main story that does have a little bit of flair in this film. Hmm. We got to talk about the vanishing cabinets. Of course. Draco and the cabinets. Uh wow, what a tour de force Tom Felton gives in this film.
1: This should just be just take take all these scenes uh s- Cut them out, stick them all together. This is an excellent solo play that I would like to see.
0: Yeah, one man show. There are multiple scenes in this film of uh, Draco going to the room of requirement by himself to work on the cabinet, and for whatever reason, um, there in this corridor uh, on the seventh floor, there are two bird cages, and in one mm. cage is a white bird, and the other cage is a black bird. Um, wow and he looks at both birds every time before he goes into the room of requirement mm-hmm. to work on the uh, uh um uh the cabinet the first time he eats an apple or he, he has an apple with him and he puts <laughs> it in the cabinet uh and to test it you know he sends it away presumably to borgen and burks and then he opens it again to reveal that the apple has been bitten so obviously it has been tra- transported so it's working. Um that's the first one then later on because you know he's he's got to he's got to test it again i suppose he takes the bird the white bird out of the cage Hmm. and takes it into the room of requirement and 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 puts it in the in the in the cabinet closes the door and waits and then the bird returns but it has been strangled the bird is dead um and he weeps for the bird I love symbolism. What do you th- What do you think this means?
1: <laughs> it's really It's could, really hard to say. What could this I, possibly mean? What could this mean? I mean, we start off really strong with the pristine apple returning with a bite taken out of it. And mm. I feel I feel like maybe, maybe there's some symbolism there, although I just can't put my finger on it. Do,
2: our um, apple,
0: do, do apples symbolize anything? Does bite, is there any story, has anyone done a story about biting an apple being a big like deal? Biting
1: an apple and maybe, maybe you were like innocent before, but mm. now you, ta- you take a bite of an apple and you're not. I just, mm. I, I'm thinking of something, but I just can't. Can't quite put my finger on it. Um and then and then of course the two birds, one white bird, one dark bird, white bird die. What could it mean? What
0: could it mean? What could it mean? He weeps for the poor the poor bird. I as stupid as this shit is, I <laughs> I love it. I love oh, yeah. I love that they went for something so bold and on the nose for this stuff. Um, I think it uh, gives Draco a much more interesting um, character without any actual dialogue. Like these are all solo scenes with just him. Um, mm-hmm. He's not talking to anyone. He's not, and and so like as a as just a simple way to in a very very long movie provide this character development that wasn't really there in the book for Draco. Like the, the character development he gets here, um. You know, obviously, in, in incredibly basic stuff, but it is ten times better than Harry deciding at the end of book six. Well, he was—it was probably hard for him, right? Like,
1: and maybe he wouldn't have done it.
0: Maybe he wouldn't. Have, right? Exactly. It is—it is a huge improvement, as silly as it is. I—I I love it for what it is. I—I I think I think that this stuff is great. Um, it is unfortunate that it culminates with the. Sectum Sempra scene being this dumb Jason Bourne fight, uh, it, 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 not very exciting here, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I do not need that. I do not need the Sectum scene to be a cover shooter, although I think that, um, in like after it happens and Harry's walking up on on Draco and seeing what he's done, I think Daniel Radcliffe does a pretty good acting.
2: Job mm-hmm.
1: there, where I'm like, I really felt for him in that moment of horror at what he had done. But yeah, it really um, is kind of undermined by again them basically shooting guns at each other for 30 <laughs> seconds ahead of time because because it, it really is like they they try to play it like that. Like Harry's like, oh. Oh God! Like he's kind of sheepish and sort of in shock. Like, oh, I did that. But it's like, well, yeah, you spent the last thirty seconds shooting guns at each other. <laughs> I think there, I think there is an honest to god gun sound in that yes. scene.
0: Yeah, it, it's really on the nose. I will say, I do think that the, um, the bit where Snape comes in, uh, and just sends Harry away is much better than what we get in the book of of him saying like well okay go and get your book for me right like that's
1: i mean that scene was so convoluted too because it it was i mean i think it was i had some really good moments and i was like oh i really feel for harry but it resolves so fast and then to go into this like comedy of snape being like okay stay here i'm bringing draco to the hospital wing okay i'm back i'm going to stay here in this bathroom while (laughs) you go up to your dorm get the book uh i'm gonna read your mind and then harry like making a that was when he discovered the the lost things room yeah that was stupid i, I liked that they just kind of left it like this um especially because they are setting up um snape killing dumbledore is much more of a betrayal than it was in the book
0: yes the, the aftermath of this though is so funny because this is where um uh uh Ginny and hermione sort of confront harry about the book being bad
1: i hate this
0: this is awful it is I, they
1: I, I i i again sympathetic they are really working with a tough storyline because the book the book is my dad is a really like it makes no sense mm-hmm. in the context and they had to do something with it it's the name of the movie mm-hmm. they they had to do something and for some Reason The thing that they decided to do in this adaptation is to have the have the girls um, give Harry a, a intervention as if the book were drugs that he was taking. Yeah.
0: Oh, it's really bad. Um,
1: what is that choice?
0: I do. Th- there's a nugget that I appreciate in this. And, and it's that I do like Hermione and Ginny sort of teaming up. Um on this against Harry with the book stuff. Cause there's that good scene where earlier in the film where Harry's reading the book and he's like being really standoffish and not letting anyone else look at it. And he's acting really weird. And like, uh, Hermione and Ginny sort of tag team him to like, get him to give give it up, right? Like like Hermione walks him over and then Ginny comes behind him and reads it and says like, "Oh, it's called the it, there's something in here about the half-blood prince." And he's like, "Oh, no, the binding is just fragile," right? Like there's <laughs> there's that scene that I think is really good of him being sheepish and trying to get away from them and them getting suspicious. What it, it culminating in uh this is an intervention <laughs> we doing we're doing this cuz we love you, Harry, is so awful. Um
1: He also just goes along with it really easily. He's like, okay, you're right.
0: Yeah, and also Ginny being pulled into this, I think, um, ruins the thing that I thought was good about the way the book was introduced in this film, which is it being, drawing the parallel between it and the diary immediately, right? Mm -hmm. Because Ginny has experienced something like this, and it's not an addiction. It's not, this isn't a heroin book. It's, it's... Harry is being, uh, uh, manipulated or, you know, or, or choosing to, uh, uh, uncritically read stuff out of a book, right? Like, like that, that's not the same thing as, as addiction. Uh, and I, I, I it, it especially feels bad that it is all a setup for Ginny to then, Give him a smooch in the room of requirement for the world. And then
1: disappear like a vampire. Disappear like a vampire.
0: But then also have it be implied that they that they boned in the room of requirement in with for one of the worst jokes in the film. Uh, which is very quickly said after this, but like when after they've put the book away, uh Harry is walking out and Ron walks up to him and he just says, So did you and Ginny do it? and Harry like has this look of shock on his face like uh and then Ron goes, you know, put the book away or whatever. <laughs> so bad. It's fucking terrible. Just really bad, especially with we have this is this happened a little earlier than this, but but it is like part of the badness of this scene. The shoelaces shit. <laughs>
1: Uh, bonnie wright and daniel radcliffe has have just zero chemistry together aside from the scenes that they're in being really poorly written in my opinion they just they've got nothing
0: yeah well i i i wonder how much of it is just like bad direction or 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 bad you know she's working with a very bad script but like she is So monotone, and she stands again the same in the same way Dumbledore was always standing awkwardly with his arms at his sides when he appeared. She's doing that in front of Harry all the time and is like, Harry, your shoelace is untied, and then you know goes down for the very obvious like blowjob shot, which is just fucking terrible. Again, a lot of inappropriately horny stuff, I think, in this film, um, in a way that doesn't feel like. Fun and ribald, like a teen comedy, but feels very salacious in a way that I don't enjoy. Like the the joke, the 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 did you do it joke, I think falls into that. It's just like, ugh, it's slimy. I don't enjoy it. It's not not appropriate. I don't think.
1: Yeah, why'd she disappear like a vampire? (laughs) I still am really confused about that. (laughs) He closes his eyes and they kiss or whatever, and then he opens them and she's disappeared.
0: Well, because she says like, come and find me or something. It's it's very strange. Um all the romance stuff, I think it 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 starts so well. Like, you know, we have the we have set up with Luna. Um you know, when there's that there's that great part where um Harry and Hermione are talking about both being out of luck for dates to the Slug Club and and one there's this very sweet moment where Harry's like, "Well, we should just go as friends." And Hermione's like, "Shit, that is a good idea. Why didn't I think of that?" Um and that part's very sweet. Um, but there's that moment where Harry says, oh, I, I like, I'll ask someone I know someone who's really cool. And then it cuts to him and Luna walking together, Mm -hmm. which is so cute too. Like, and a really good translation of that scene in the book, which I think is adorable. Yeah. That stuff is fantastic. There's also that very sweet moment where, you know, post Quidditch game, Hermione sees Ron and Lavender kissing and it's great because she is just seems genuinely upset. You know, she's missed her mm-hmm. chance or whatever. And she runs out and she's crying. And and Harry goes to comfort her. And there's that part where, you know, she says to him, you know, how does it feel uh, every time you see Ginny and Dean kissing or whatever? Mm-hmm. And, and Harry, like, sort of looks at her and he, he's like, well, it feels like this. Um, and that is such a great moment between these two mm-hmm. uh, of understanding that... It feels like such a bummer when then Lavender arrives and we get the the uh, the bird attack scene, which again just feels like inappropriate and unnecessary because this is already like this scene has been so much more humanized than it was in the book where Hermione just like it, it, it Lavender is evil because she she dates Ron, which is mm-hmm. so weird, right? Like it, it, it is it's understandable for Hermione to be sad and these scenes of Hermione being sad and being comforted by Harry are great, but to then have her still react with violence in this scene in the film is bizarre.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just another part where it's like, Oh, they have to get back on the rails of the book. We have to do thing that happened in book and it just sucks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it continues like, like Lavender's characterization gets more and more off the rails as the film goes on
1: Mm -hmm. there's that yeah because the because the movie couldn't even figure out how to how to resolve this issue because in the book it was pretty much like lavender didn't really do anything wrong she was just like cringy right and it was just like well yeah and i and i think the book i'm gonna give the book a little bit of credit uh, for the fact that that ron you know breaks up with her um like in a in a way that, that teens are mean to each other, and obviously he got got together with her not because he really liked her, but because she was interested in him, and he mm-hmm. was flattered by that. And then later came to be kind of annoyed with her mm-hmm. um, because he didn't really appreciate that relationship. I I don't think that that was handled that well in in the book, but but it's there, mm-hmm. and the movie couldn't even couldn't keep lavender human. Right. It had it had to make her an object of, of like scorn and derision for the audience mm-hmm. instead of just being like, oh, this is an, uh, just kind of like an unlucky situation where teens just kind of hurt each other because that's what they do, uh, and they made her she's she's crazy. Yeah, she's, she's full a on crazy, crazy girl,
0: and like, and like also like the way like the wardrobing and stuff is done like, like. It feels like they try to make her not only, like, act annoying, but, like, look annoying if You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like yeah, they
1: they, they did they dressed trap in a very like juvenile way. She spends a lot of her time like it's funny because I think her hair is very similar in like texture and style to Hermione's,
2: mm-hmm.
1: partially because that was just the style of the time. Mm-hmm. But hers are she constantly has like two like pigtail braids with big bows and stuff, and they mm-hmm. did her makeup like very high high pink blush, and it's like she's she's dressed up to be very like to look very juvenile and childish next to hermione
0: i i got an element of like less so with the hairstyle but like the makeup and her behavior it was like this was on the tail end of it but probably still in like you know the older people making this film's minds but like it was very like oh that fucking bitch paris hilton kind of right like like oh she's so annoying and stupid um Mm -hmm. and it kind of has that that vibe to it a little bit um uh it culminates with a scene where i'm still i need to look up the screenplay the um i don't trust youtube subtitles i'm fairly sure that hermione calls lavender brown a daft bimbo
1: I definitely heard the word bimbo. Like, yes, Hermione called Lavender a bimbo. I think that that's true.
0: Yeah, she called her a daft bimbo, which made me laugh out loud, like just just completely out of nowhere. But kind of shows you like what what we were supposed to take away from these scenes was supposed to be, which is it's a bummer um, because I, you know, she's she's definitely a bit cloying in the book still but like ron is the character who is in the wrong in the book uh, mm-hmm. uh, as, as surprising it is, as it is for how bad the like romantic politics in the book usually are like Harry and Ron or Harry and Hermione both tell Ron like yeah you you're being kind of an asshole just like not breaking up with her right like yeah. you're dragging this out uh he's he's a huge coward and won't won't face her like that 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 is much more on Ron in the book um that's missing here which is too bad
1: and i think that uh, correct me if i'm wrong but he does end up breaking up with her in the book and has to or or maybe is just so mean to her that he makes her, her break up with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in this one, it's just like the happenstance of Ron saying Hermione's name while he's asleep.
0: Yes. Just yeah. does
1: it for him.
0: Yeah. Um, and, and in a scene, again, it is, there are all these scenes around this that are so good until they have to come to an end. Um, Because that is is the end of a very otherwise fantastic scene where Ron drinks the love potion on accident. Um, (laughs) Which is, there are so many good scenes in this film that are just Ron and Harry just being full on dudes rock with each other. Oh yeah. Um, This being the best one where Rupert is really giving it his all acting love drunk. In this uh, scene where he's 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 had Ramil Vane's out of date love potion, mm-hmm. uh, really charming stuff. Him and Harry uh, are are just clearly having a fucking blast filming these scenes, and they're very mm-hmm. funny, very charming, and like very bring that like schoolboy energy to the story in a way that's like sorely missed in a lot of scenes otherwise. Um, mm-hmm but I, yeah I, I they have a, they have such good chemistry together um uh in, in these in these scenes and like that that whole like event is very funny and it's just too bad that it has to end with hermione saying go away be gone you bimbo like just i i cast thee out uh very silly
1: yeah i think that generally speaking um a lot of the ways that the movie decided to to kind of take liberties in setting up these storylines were so, so good. And then it just kind of fell flat on its face, either with a book accurate conclusion resolution, or by just dropping the plot line entirely. Like in the case of the Quidditch stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of stuff just disappears in this film. Mm -hmm. Um, The, the, the McLagan plot is a big one. The Quidditch in general is a big one. Aragog, the, the opposite thing kind of happens like the the uh, hagrid doesn't appear until he is necessary no setup at all with that stuff it, there's there's a lot of choices that are ones that i think are necessary but are um always always end up being brought down by the fact that it had to be taken from the book um, uh, well, yeah just... like
1: the events have to happen and I and I understand like um, I'm glad you mentioned the a- Aragog stuff because um, I, I think that that is an obvious I understand why they made that cut to not set that up but mm-hmm. it did kind of sabotage the thing I like the most about the luck potion um, chapter and the Aragog funeral chapter is that Harry isn't under the influence of a potion that just magically tells him the right place to be it's that the potion gave him the confidence to go and do what he already wanted to do which was go to the funeral with with hagrid
0: yes exactly the um the the felix Felicis is much more explicitly a real potion that really get makes you lucky in this Mm -hmm. um which and, and i will say as as i think as disappointing as change as i think that is um it does at least allow again daniel radcliffe to fucking flex on this movie
1: oh absolutely
0: he is so good in this scene um and i got to say um you know we 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 had joked about how felix felicis was just like it just gave you like weed confidence mm-hmm. and that is 1000% the way that Daniel Radcliffe plays it. Yeah. He's got he's he has got a, like just pitch perfect uh uh weed guy confidence in this scene. Yeah. Um the part where so he 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 wanders in on Slughorn uh, uh clipping the valuable plants out of the the greenhouse. And there's all there's already some insanely funny dialogue where he's like Oh, I just you know uh, I figured what with all the sneaking around and the not wanting to be caught, you were doing something you shouldn't, uh, Professor. <laughs> but then when he starts walking out towards the um, uh uh the grounds at night, and and Slughorn goes Harry, and he just turns around and goes Professor, like <laughs> back in the same voice. It is so fucking good. Um. It's delightful. He 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 just for as disappointed as I am in the change, making it literally like luck potion, he he sells it. He he really does a, a great job with that change. For
1: for as much as people on the subreddit say things like they they want to defend the character Harry Potter. Harry Potter mm-hmm. is my favorite character. All of that. And they list traits. And I say, like, yeah, sometimes. But I think they must be thinking of Daniel Radcliffe Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Which, honestly, like, he is Harry Potter to me now. Right? Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, Harry as a character in the books is so inconsistent. Such a self-insert kind of avatar for the reader to be... Mm-hmm. Um. And is sometimes Rambo, I guess, but but Daniel Radcliffe has like has brought this very pure vision to the character that I really enjoy.
0: I really wonder how much of it is just them lucking out with someone who's naturally charming because I, I don't know how much he is, you know, capital A acting in these films, and how much is it is just him being himself, like as a character actor, right? Like it is because he he just has such dorky teen energy in these films and mm-hmm. he would have been a dorky teen while filming these right like it is um it is just like such a serendipitous thing that that he was the guy they went with because yeah he's he's funny without being smarmy he's mm-hmm. um he is like compassionate when he needs to be but like still has that sort of like self-centered teen uh uh like self-preservation instinct right like he Mm -hmm. he he is um uh he is he gets angry really convincingly he um he tells jokes at inappropriate times and like upsets people but like i don't know like it's just it, it is i have such a clearer vision of harry potter the character through his acting than i have ever gotten from the books themselves Which is so much the opposite of everything else that the films do to the books, I think, because the 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 unfortunate part of the films so often is that they they feel like they are moving so fast, you never get to know anybody.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Whereas at least you know, as being the the lead actor, Harry uh, and uh, Daniel as Harry is just such a consistent uh, 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 vision of a character in in this film that it really does. He really is the glue that holds everything together um uh and and i think that the the felix police's scene just like cements that because is so funny in this and like the, the part where um uh slughorn's talking about how you know everyone's afraid of the spiders and it's like H- haggard's like yeah i guess they're big and and harry is just like fucking zooted neck <laughs> out of his mind next to him and just goes also the pincers and he like puts his hands up to his face and like makes like mock pincer motions and goes <laughs> like just makes this bizarre noise it is <laughs> so fucking funny and that extends to the next scene though because because the, the part after this where slughorn and Hagrid are having a terrible cgi um uh, uh drink together in the mm-hmm. hut yeah this scene is buoyed by the fact that all three well i guess Hag- Hagrid doesn't really get much to do in this film but both ha- um, harry and slughorn are able to pivot between bumbling comedy and like very serious pathos very quickly and earnestly. Mhm. This speech that they have Slughorn give when he's like reluctant to give up the memory. Or it's just like, "Oh, it'll ruin me." And he tells that story about the lily, like the flower, the lily.
2: Mhm.
0: Um in his garden or whatever. Is really good. Like like shockingly good he does amazing work here while also pretending to be a like funny drunk guy yeah uh and then harry as well like he's still uh gone off that loud felix Felicis in this scene is able to meet him halfway uh, uh, in that scene and and press him in a way that's very emotional like it, it is so it, it is very lucky that the acting between these two characters is so good because one i do not think they were ever in the same room together Um, uh because harry has a cgi background behind him and (laughs) two it's like the emotional core of the film so like thank god they were at least able to nail that um but it is uh it is weird that that it is so disjointed
1: it i i I do i know we touched on it before we got to this part Mm -hmm. um and, and it's about the change in slughorn's character as as essentially not really doing anything wrong um, mm-hmm. where, whereas in the book they had him having done something wrong, knowing it was wrong at the time and then later feeling like crushing guilt about it. Mm-hmm. It is, he is a purely sympathetic character in the scene in the mm-hmm. same way that you feel like, like, I think this was probably the most emotional moment for me watching this movie, which, which is the... Feeling that I'm sure everyone has had that I think Slughorn is supposed to have had in this um, in this scene where it's like he did something bad, but he really was kind of just doing his best with the information that he had available and can't really be held at fault For anything that happened, happens, but has been living with this guilt ever since Mm -hmm. because of something that happened that he couldn't have possibly foreseen, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the, oh, I told Ted Bundy something and he used that information to kill someone. I feel so bad, but how could I have known, right? right? Like He is a purely sympathetic character here. And what an interesting change to make.
0: Yeah, and it is it is disappointing because there is a line in that monologue he gives to Harry that I think is brilliant, and I wish was true. Which mm. is where he says nobody could have guessed the monster that lurked beneath, uh, or or something to that effect, uh, uh, w- uh, when he's talking about Tom Riddle, right? Yeah, um, which I think is a like a really interesting idea that says you know, like you know evil doesn't like evil doesn't look like anything right like like you can't look at someone or you know you can't like especially as a teacher you can't like observe a student and go like oh that kid's going to be evil right like that's just not something you do but it is not helped by the fact that in the pensive scenes (laughs) tom riddle is for one played by a teenager standing on a box so he's taller than slughorn which is so fucking funny he looks like he looks like a baby wearing his dad's suit but he is talking like this and he says like oh professor can you tell me about horcruxes i just want to know can can someone split their soul into multiple pieces perhaps seven pieces (laughs) And of course, I realize it. You know, it requires a murder, and it's like, okay, well, if no shit, this kid's evil, right? Like, <laughs> he's just like lording it over uh, uh, Slughorn <laughs> in these scenes, and it makes it just makes undercuts that um, that assertion that Slughorn has is like, you know, oh god, no, nobody could have known, you know, like, you know, we all we all knew him. I taught him, and just you know, nothing could have prepared us for what he became. And it's like, well. Okay, but he did just loom over you in two scenes and go, oh, Professor, I'm here to ask you, do you know anything about doing murders?
1: (laughs) 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 I mean, it it is so funny, especially with the scene where Dumbledore goes and visits him at the orphanage, and he's so clearly evil in the same way. And, and there's a moment where Dumbledore, and they're talking about them being wizards, but it's, it's the primo evil Dumbledore moment where Dumbledore says, Tom, I'm like you. And to me, I'm like, oh, Dumbledore is also a Ted Bundy, but what he meant was that he's a wizard. And then Dumbledore goes out of the memory and says, "Like," and, and Harry asks him, did you know? And he, and Dumbledore says kind of the same line, just in a different Um, a different scene where he's like no if i had known i wouldn't have done that and Mm -hmm. it's kind of the same the same idea of like who could have known that the evil lurked underneath except it's extremely obvious
0: well it's it's and it is so funny too because the young tom riddles we see in this film are both like ted bundy psychos but -hmm. they're also like different flavors each Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. because when he's when when um when when Dumbledore goes to meet him as a child, there's the version we get that is the like the Damien version. Yeah. Then the, of course the one later it, when he's a teenager is just like mustache twirling like evil <laughs> evil guy. Neither of them are Voldemort. First of all, like 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 neither of those really fit Voldemort as a character. But also it's it's just funny to see multiple characters going like oh like no one could have predicted that this child would be evil it's like well okay but both times we've seen him he is fitting like the most common evil child stereotype so i just can't buy this as presented in the film
1: yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe it'd be more sinister if he was just like normal, right? But but that is yeah. part of it is that he was supposed to be just like very normal and very charming. Uh, Dumbledore in the book, at least in the first scene where he meets him at the orphanage, is like, yeah, I could tell he was fucked up, but I was the only one that knew it because he never showed that to anyone else.
0: Right? Yeah. Like he didn't. He didn't like. He was, you know, we 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 kept track of him at Hogwarts, right? He was a model student, and you know, he 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 was like, I mean, there's even a bit of like Hogwarts ideology stuff in there. Where it's like, oh, he's just like he is he is no different from any other smart Slytherin, right? Looks at camera, but like, yeah, it is it is a it, it is so funny that that we get these very emotional and sympathetic scenes of Slughorn being like, no, he was he, like I i couldn't have known and then seeing like well you could have actually but I'll, (laughs) i'll buy it just because you know your 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 monologue was so good here um shall we take a quick break before we come back and discuss the uh the final act of this film
2: yeah
1: sounds good to me
0: all right we'll be back and then we've got to talk about the cave adventure wahoo Hello, everybody and welcome back we are in shall we say the third act the final stretch of the film there is a very good scene here that kicks this all off that i think is maybe one of the saving graces of the film both like thematically and also in like the suspense it creates and that is snape and dumbledore having a private conversation in the astronomy tower that harry Uh, sneaks into and Mm -hmm. why Harry was sneaking around and overheard this I'm not sure but I do think it is worth it uh, uh, because the characterization it gives both Dumbledore and Snape here I think is fantastic Snape is sort of protesting Dumbledore's plan in vague terms and, mm-hmm. and, you know, Dumbledore tells Snape, you know, this is the way it has to be done. You, you know, you're so good at this, uh, uh, you know, blah, 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 you're a valuable asset. And Snape says uh, something along the lines of, have you ever considered that I don't want to do this anymore? Mm-hmm. Which is great. Like, like, it is a very rare moment of, like, vulnerability for Snape uh, in this film that I think is mm-hmm. really well done. Yeah, I really like this scene. Um, it, 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 and it has the byproduct of making harry trust snape more which i think mm-hmm. is so good like the 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 way that the book mystery pans out with snape is unfortunate because we the reader we know that snape is going to do the right thing in the end and this is all part of some plan but but mm-hmm. we never get any um view inside his head or like you know what what he could be thinking about it he just he just carries it out and harry suspects him because he hates snape and is clouded by you know his hatred for snape here this frustration that snape expresses to dumbledore i think it's the first time anyone has ever pushed back on dumbledore like in the in the films or the books um Mm -hmm. and i think giving that that role to snape and having that sort of wordlessly um give Harry a little bit of understanding and why Dumbledore trusts Snape, because, um, you know, he, he sort of puts two and two together that, that Snape's dark activities are, you know, a double agent stuff or whatever. I think just, it goes a long way, and I, I it's something, it's almost something that I wish was in the book uh, and not just in the film.
1: Yeah, I, I think in the book, I guess we've talked a little bit about Harry's, like, unfailing loyalty to Dumbledore Mm -hmm. and in the book it ends up feeling a little bit like child super soldier
0: yeah um, yeah
1: connotations that feel like kind of icky and weird Um, and I think the movie handles it a lot better it kind of doesn't try to explain itself it just says Harry likes Dumbledore Dumbledore is like a trustworthy old wizard guy Mm -hmm. and we just all like him and we trust him and and the movie takes that and kind of runs with it doesn't explain itself too much and as a consequence of that ends up having harry able to trust snape like that is a conflict that doesn't come up harry doesn't like snape but he's like well you know he like maybe he's up to something uh I know Draco's up to something, but I I have to give him the benefit of the doubt because I'm loyal to Dumbledore, uh, and Dumbledore is trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just works a lot better for me. Yeah,
0: yeah. And it goes hand in hand with like the the following scene. You know, af- after Dumbledore, you know, collects Harry and is like, "Okay, we, we've got to go on this cave adventure to get the last Horcrux," because he 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 shows him the book in the ring. And it's like, you know, we, we've seen this, this last memory where, um, where the evil child, uh, got, um, got the professor to tell him about how to do murders real good. Um, but, uh, there's this brief moment before they, they apparate to the, uh, the hilarious cave, um, where the, they finally land on a like fatherly Dumbledore thing that clicks, which is mm-hmm. Dumbledore taking a moment, and, like looking at Harry, and then sort of like affectionately, like touching his face and saying, "Like you need to shave," um, <laughs> and like that yeah. is so much better than these weird prying questions into Harry's love life that he has the rest of the film. Um, but yeah, yeah, he has this little monologue where he, you know, he tells Harry he should shave, uh, and then he, uh, he, he says, like, you know, forgive, forgive my mawkishness, but I'm just, you know, I- I'm remembering you know how how far you've come and and you know all the all the stuff that you've been doing and and your your growth as a student and it's it's a really sweet moment um and Mm -hmm. and uh like it's funny that they sort of landed on the third like third time's the charm i guess like the when he's when he um he's joking about cock blocking him uh with the waitress not good when he asks if uh he and her are doing it not good um but this moment here where he's just like 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 harry I'm, I'm thinking about all the the time we've spent together and how far how much you've grown it's like oh okay i get it that's sweet like like they they, they nailed it finally in this film
1: Yeah, and I also, um, like, it's a little silly, and it also kind of works two ways. One is kind of evil Dumbledore, I get to do what I want. Mm. Um, But I do also kind of appreciate the, like, cool dad move that Dumbledore does in this scene, which is that Harry asks him, like, oh, but we can't operate inside of Hogwarts. And he says, like, well, being me has its advantages. And that, to me, is such a, like, parental, like, I make the rules, I can break them. Yes, uh, kind of thing that I think is sweet.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it is It is a really good moment there. Um, then immediately undercut by them appearing... A be-
1: Time to operate into a different movie. To, yes,
0: they just appear in a completely different film. Uh, the CGI cliffs on this hilarious rock. And I realized... Um i i i need to go back and check because there's this there's this huge sweeping shot where after they apparate they appear on this pointy rock in the ocean the ocean is like you know turgid it is it is uh very dramatic the music is blasting um (laughs) you see this cave uh in in the in the rocks but it's like a like a half a mile away from where the rock is yeah did we see how they got from point a to point b there
1: no, but we know from the book that they, they
0: swim. S- <laughs> <laughs> um then we sort of get like the truncated version of the same scene in the book. Dumbledore sort of wanders around touching the walls going like, "Yes, this place is known magic." In a really funny voice. <laughs> um
1: if- if I were a movie-only watcher, I think this would be the part where the movie lost me. Yeah. Because, because the Horcrux stuff was so sidelined in this and, like, made into just this tie ty- like, ah, yep, he he made these evil objects, um, time to go find one, and then to just apparate into a cave that was not set up. Because at no point does it tell the story of the cave that tom riddle took the the kids and they never came out the same Mm -hmm. no way you could get like all that stuff is so stupid but at least when dumbler's like yeah we're going to the cave and harry says like oh the cave from the memory yeah dumbler says yeah but this is just like okay let's go to this random random ass skyrim dungeon it's here we are it's really which i guess if I guess if you're a movie-only watcher, like, that is such, like, film language for, like, okay, here we are in the final dungeon, but Mm -hmm. it's so weird.
0: Like, by the logic of the film, you would think that the final act here would take place not in the cave, but in the orphanage. Like, if they had, like, gone... Because the orphanage gets a very long, pensive scene early on, you would think that maybe they would rewrite the ending to have them go and visit this, like, I don't know, like burned out old building or something. And then maybe that's protected Mm -hmm. by zombies or whatever. Um, uh, but, but because like, I guess that image is just so strong in the book, right? Like, oh, there's this magical cave with a, with a mysterious plinth that you have to drink the bone hurting juice out of. They couldn't, they didn't want to fuck with it that much, sadly. Mm -mm. Um, we do get and and like everything else pretty much plays out like exactly like the book we get the boat we get the um you know the them lighting the cave together what we don't get is the hilarious expository dialogue about like one of those are zombies and you have to use fire against them and B, the insane back and forth conversation about like voldemort made the boat and it only fits one person because he doesn't uh but because he doesn't think much of children or uh, non-humans we can both be in the boat like like no no boat conversation just a creepy boat so kudos
1: yep we get it it's a boat gotta use the boat to get across the lake yeah. <laughs> I'm totally I'm totally with the film on this yeah, one
0: um, then we get to the um the, the bone hurting juice itself and I think that this is really unfortunate what happens here it wasn't great in the book but by virtue of being a film that has even you know that has much less dialogue and and you know no interiority for harry cuz it's a film you know he's he's he has an actor there's no internal monologue or anything it is again like you say like if i was a movie only watcher i think this would be completely baffling um he just makes him drink this juice that he clearly doesn't like And then zombies attack them. (laughs) Like, it...
1: It's, it's really weird because I, I don't like the cave scene. I, I think even in the book it comes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. But it feels like if you're going to do it in the movie, you might as well commit mm-hmm. to it. And it feels like it didn't want to commit to this scene at all. It feels so rushed. It doesn't sit with the discomfort of the scene at all. It almost kind of montages oh, it a little yes, bit. Yes, I
0: want to talk about that. When he is pouring the drinks um, and he was scooping stuff up and um, pouring them uh, down his mouth it jump cuts a bunch um mm-hmm. and, like to speed it up and and, and it, that is a really interesting observation and it reminds me a lot of the um fault in our stars film this is a this is mm. an odd connection um but maybe you see where i'm going with this um mm-hmm. like all the scenes in uh the fault in our stars that were like genuinely earnestly emotionally affecting um, were always undercut by the music kicking in, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and them sort of cutting away from, like, you know, there's that scene where she's, like, ugly crying when she finds out she has cancer or whatever. Um, and, there, uh, or that it's in uh, fucking whatever. I, I can't even remember what the situation is. I just vividly remember feeling a flash of very genuine emotion at, at this scene that was happening and then having it robbed because the the very loud music kicked in and didn't allow me yeah. to sit with, like, that just, like, ugly, raw human emotion. And that happens right. here, too, is it's, like, the music is so loud and cloying, and it's, like, it's speeding up the 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 edit, so, like, you're not, like, like you say, you gotta commit to it. If you want to have the audience sit with the discomfort of having to force Dumbledore to do something he doesn't want to do that's hurting him, show the whole scene, right? Like, it's i mean like both of these for, for one thing both of these people are great actors uh, uh uh yeah uh michael gambon is a great actor uh uh daniel radcliffe is a great actor they could make that scene brutal right like it would be mm-hmm. you could you could make that scene hard to watch you know with no no violence no gore or anything just like oh i don't want him to, i don't want him to feed him another one no like like you want you'd be watching it through your hands if it was done right
1: yeah but that's honestly kind of what I was expecting cuz that seems like such a gimme. Yeah,
0: it's um it's a real obvious one. And and like the flashes we do get like are affecting. Like there's there's the there's a shot that like could be so good and affecting that I think is robbed of power by the way it's edited. Um and mm-hmm. it's the part where Dumbledore is looking up at Harry and he looks like a whining child. He's like mm-hmm. he's like got that like that like scrunched up face and he like looks like he's been crying and he, he just like he looks he looks like he is like reverted into a like toddler state.
1: Yeah, nobody wants to see an old man cry. It's too sad. Yeah, it's re- it's, tr- it's heartbreaking. Yeah,
0: it's 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 really good acting on his part that is like glossed over by the film itself, which is a real bummer.
1: Yeah, and there's just like an immediate really fast cut and the music is swelling like it's this like majestic heroic moment, mm-hmm. but it shouldn't be. It should be this like this powerful man like like laid low in this like moment of like horrible uncomfortable desperation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you just don't feel that way. It's just, it's just the swelling heroic music just kills it. It's completely kneecap. Yeah,
0: it's, it's a real bummer. Um, And like, you know, Daniel's doing really good here too, because he's like, he's like talking to Dumbledore, like he's, you know, feeding him like a baby, right? Like it's, uh, Mm -hmm. it could be so good. I wanna know like is that a rating thing? Is that just an unfortunate style choice? I just
1: I mean I guess it would be uncomfortable, right? Yeah. Like I am picturing like full on like David Lynch style, just like long scene that is just like you watch it through your hands oh, it's but it just be so, so like nerve wracking and like, yeah. oh, it's horrible, horrible to watch. And I guess maybe if you're just making a summer blockbuster for the whole family to go to, maybe you don't want that in your movie, but i don't know i think it would have been cool yeah
0: it would have been great and it i mean like and and the thing is if i was the director in that position and i was making that choice right my answer would mm-hmm. be well you get the zombie fight right after that so deal with it yeah honestly like 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 that that's your concession to the to like right. the studio right like yes don't worry after we have this really uncomfortable scene there will be an extended action sequence where they fight zombies with a, with fire spells
1: <laughs> um this the zombie thing just I, I don't know why they didn't cut the zombies out. I like they aren't set up at all. They are never mentioned ahead of mm-hmm. time, and all of a sudden there's just this army of golems coming out of the water for no reason. Yeah,
0: there's there's the the, the thing that makes it work in the book is that they are kind of a red herring all the way through, right? Mm-hmm. Like like Dumbledore mentions them early on they are like they're mentioned in like the the wanted posters or whatever or oh it's the pamphlets that the ministry is passing out in hogsmeade right like the yeah
1: watch out for zombies yeah and
0: so you're like when are the you know when are the zombies gonna show up is so and so a zombie like like that works in the book but because they are never mentioned or seen in the film when when a like little golem arm pops out of the water for a jump scare uh, to grab harry it's just sort of funny it's like where did this, this is a different movie where is this from
1: yeah and, and harry like almost dies or whatever is pulled underwater it's very dramatic and then dumbledore fills the whole cave with fire
0: <laughs> this is so funny like it is dumbledore you know rising to his feet and casting this like very uh, intense huge fire spell it certainly looks cool but it is just so it the zombies did not need to be there outside of the need to have a big action showdown at the end um and it's too bad because we also get an action sequence after this once they're back at the castle um i would just cut them out but especially because do you remember when we were reading the books we found that quote from jk rowling on pottermore where she wrote like yeah i didn't really want this to be a zombie book and so i intentionally downplayed the inferior right um so like even she's not like married to the why'd idea she,
1: why'd she put the zombies in if she <laughs> wanted to be a zombie book you just cannot you don't have you to don't have, have,
2: zombie to in have zombies book. in it
0: it doesn't help that they just don't look all that scary. They just look like, like, like you said, like they're, they're like dime store golem. Um, mm-hmm. They're they're just not very threatening and not very scary. And it's outside of the jump scare. There's not much tension here because it's immediately resolved with the the big fire spell. And then, then it's time for the the real the real shit, which is when they get back to the castle and and uh, Draco's waiting for them. Yep, I think this is better at least than it was in the book.
1: It's got some problems. It, yeah, it's like the changes they made to make it better, which I think it did overall. I think it's overall an improvement, but the changes they made introduced new problems. <laughs> exactly,
0: and I think I think that, that is a. I think that is maybe like the running theme of my takeaway from this movie is that they made good changes. That they, then either just just because they weren't creative, you know, they 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 couldn't figure a way out of them, or because it is just inherent to the book's flaws, um, they could never fully deliver on the changes. Yeah, the romance stuff, the teen draw, like the teen comedy stuff, the, like harem for Harry stuff, and then this part with. The conclusion of, uh, of Draco's uh, uh, sad, sad bird story and Snape being frustrated with Dumbledore mm-hmm. just doesn't quite fit together here.
1: Um, I still, I think for whatever problems that this change does introduce, I will take all of them for the moment of Harry trusting snake before he kills dumbledore i think it's all worth it for for that singular moment yeah
0: so there's so so one of the weirder changes and and again this is sort of like a a a moment where i felt vindicated watching the film Mm -hmm. right where i was like of course the screenwriters would go we can't just have harry petrified and invisible in this scene right um
1: yeah we're not we're not going to have our main character be a camera <laughs> in this scene that's stupid yeah
0: so like i i i i will applaud them for re- recognizing that i think that that is that is an excellent change um uh and i um think that the thing that harry does do where he's like about to strike on uh uh draco and uh uh bellatrix and and what's his fucking name fenrir uh i think that moment is very good except for the part that it lasts a little bit long and there's there are all these shots of draco who is like crying and pointing his wand at dumbledore Mm-hmm. And he is standing right next to the edge like a like a garden of stealth video game. <laughs> like like he is standing in prime position for you to either like shoot an explosive barrel so he falls off the edge or That's right. for you to like climb up behind him and do the like press A to, to you know stealth kill the guy standing on the ledge. Right? He's <laughs> and I was just like waiting for Harry to like expelliarmus him off the edge and it never came. Um but like you say there's this great moment where he does go to do something and then the camera pans and snape is there and it's just such a good shot right like it's wordless and it's just snape
1: it's so good snape
0: with his wand out behind harry and he like just puts one finger to his mouth to like you know tell harry to be quiet and harry goes with it And it's great.
1: I I think this is so smart. I love that the movie never once put Harry and Dumbledore in conflict over Snape. It is just a given. Harry trusts Dumbledore. He's going to trust Snape. And in the same way, Draco is losing his innocence. The apple has been bitten through the cabinets. Harry has to lose his innocence in the scene mm-hmm. uh, where he he has his unfailingly been loyal to our magic man, Dumbledore. <laughs> um and and in this moment where he chooses to trust Snape because Snape and because why wouldn't he, right? It's like it's almost like it doesn't even occur to him to to not trust Snape in this case, and it gets Dumbledore killed, right? Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. That's such a good change. It's,
0: it's it is so much better. Um and it makes it also serves to make the fight that Snape and Harry have even though it ends up not being very good or at least like not very exciting but but the the emotional response that Harry is having there he where he's like just flinging spells at him and yelling like you know fight me coward or whatever like it's so much more understandable there cuz he feels so much more betrayed in this than he does in the book right because he's never mm-hmm. liked snape in the book yeah and it's uh it's it, it's it, it, i think that is maybe the best change that's film that this film makes
1: yeah it, it feels so unsatisfying when when harry knew all of all well, quote-unquote knew all along about snape being bad because at the end it's just like harry's like oh well i was right yeah Um, and, and it feels, feels really unsatisfying. And I, and I also think that this, um, thematically ties as rushed and weird as the, as the the like vestigial Horcrux storyline is in this movie. It also kind of ties it back and parallels like Harry doing the best he can with the information he has available to Mm -hmm. Slughorn, who also made a catastrophic mistake, Right. right? Yes.
0: Yeah. Oh, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, that is a really good point. Mm -hmm. huh yeah that is that is a parallel that just never exists between those two characters
1: yeah and and i think it really does like this movie uh, pretty deftly in concept brings the slughorn draco harry stuff all in (laughs) line which it is just like it is chaos in the book none (laughs) of those things really even like look or interact with each other at
0: all yeah that is a really good point yeah I, i like that a lot um we do get our wish. Like you say, the monkey's paw curled. We get Bellatrix mm-hmm. here, here along with Fenrir. My
1: question is why Fenrir is here now. Because Fenrir, we don't see Bill. There's no big battle. The Order doesn't show up. Neville and Luna weren't pathetic looking at their coins um, <laughs> that night. It's like a really um, in and out stealth mission by Draco, right? Yeah. He, he brings in his backup. The movie makes that make a little bit more sense. He just need he he brought them there to go kill Dumbledore. He did it. They are congratulatory of him. He's been working with Fenrir the whole time. It's implied. Um, why is he in this movie? Because he doesn't attack Bill, he doesn't get any speaking lines, we don't hear about Lupin's secret mission. He's just there.
0: Yeah, and I think that so we mentioned the awful scene of uh Ginny and Harry. Uh, doing the shoelace thing at the Burrow. Mm-hmm. What we have not talked about, which I think is important to talk about in the in the context of the the ending of the film, when Bellatrix and Fenrir show up for a big fight, sure. is the Burrow attack that's new. Oh,
1: the Burrow getting blown up. I completely forgot. Yeah, the
0: Burrow gets blown up in this film. Yeah. In an otherwise good scene, I think where like uh, you know uh, Arthur feeds harry a little information about the vanishing cabinet creates new lore for the vanishing cabinet that i think is actually really good uh so if you remember in the book harry tips arthur off that draco's up to something arthur investigates um the malfoy manor and says like yeah they don't have anything in the mm-hmm. film it is much better uh uh harry is talking to arthur Arthur tells him, hey, I know something that might interest you. We don't have anything on the Malfoys, but at Borgen and Burks, they have a vanishing cabinet, which were very, and he says something, so they were very popular, um, you know, when, uh, during the first war, because they were a quick way to get, like, you and your family somewhere else if someone came knocking, right? Like, mm-hmm. which... On the one hand, it does sort of raise questions about, like, well, what about apparition? But I'll take it, right? Like...
1: Yeah, yeah doesn't the flu do the exact same thing? Yeah, but, we have the flu okay. powder,
0: we have a apparition, sure. But, like, I, I, in a pinch, I will take this idea that, like, vanishing cabinets are uh, a, a, like, old form of transportation um, that that uh, uh, Arthur finds interesting, right? Like... Mm-hmm. But, th- sure. but then... I for for reasons that are, are sort of unclear I guess because they know Harry's there and they want to spook him question mark Um, Bellatrix and Fenrir show up in flying form and like <laughs> bomb the the burrow the way that they did Ollivander's <laughs> shop and the bridge and then have this ridiculous chasing which again I might add I need to double check but I'm pretty sure at no point in this action sequence do harry and bellatrix appear in the same shot without it being a composite because again she filmed all of her scenes so late uh like like a month before the film wrapped i think this was entirely fabricated at the last minute and it and it kind of shows and for what (laughs) because most of the scene is uh uh voiceover of bellatrix yelling i killed sirius black and harry chasing her through a cornfield but like the camera (sighs) it's like first person camera through this cornfield so you can't see anything um and then they kind of go for like a jump scare with Fenrir, but it doesn't really didn't didn't get me i don't know if it got you um
1: no, I think I was mostly pretty bored in this scene.
0: Yeah, of them like entering the like creek in the in the uh, the middle, and then Vinegar just sort of jumps out and goes like surprise, like no line, He's just like, hey, like here I am, I'm an ugly dude. Um,
1: I mean, is this scene here because there was there's like a timer? Uh, from the studio where it's like oh if you don't have an action scene in like a certain time frame in a blockbuster you just have to put one in because this whole thing is immediately dropped it's never brought up again afterwards Hermione's like you have to be more careful you're Harry Potter and he says like I know I'm Harry Potter Hermione yeah. <laughs> and then it never it never comes up again it's never like Ron is like oh yeah I'm sad because my house my got house fucking up.
0: blew up yeah that, that doesn't really happen I don't know I don't know why it's here. I think it is. I think the idea of uh, the studio saying you have to have X number of minutes of action is probably more realistic than we might think.
1: I mean, I think also I I can admire their attempt to set up Bellatrix and Fenrir appearing in the climax of the movie. yeah like it is like a touchstone of like hey remember these guys yeah
0: and and like the the again in like the the monkey's paw way that we, we've been discussing bellatrix appearing to taunt harry about killing sirius is something i wanted out of the book right like mm-hmm. in a way this is what i wanted i wanted i wanted fenrir and bellatrix to like sort of be the uh the heavies for harry to take down or whatever but this is such a clumsy and weird way to do it, especially because if I remember right, the burrow still appears in the next movie. Like there's Isn't no-
1: that where Bill and Fleur's wedding is? Yeah,
0: there's no consequence for this. I, I, I guess it also doesn't help that this movie established that... Um, uh, you know, when, when Slughorn and, and uh, Dumbledore are meeting in that house at the beginning, that you can just wave your wand and fix a building. Right. So, like, the, the threat of a building blowing up just isn't t- doesn't really hold much water in this. Um, it's an odd change, for sure.
1: I mean, I guess if it's trying to establish that the Death Eaters are going around doing terrorism, I, I guess that could be something it's doing. Because, yeah. again, that's another criticism, that's a criticism of ours, where we say, like, we never get any kind of idea of what the death eaters are really doing Mm -hmm. right like they haven't done anything that we know of and so in the movie they have appeared to have answered us by saying well they blew up the millennium (laughs) bridge and the burrow
0: (laughs) which yeah like again like so many changes in this it's so close to being a good one but it just can't it can't deliver on it all the way
1: i guess i just see where they're coming from yeah
0: it doesn't help to the a sort of subplot that we haven't touched on in this film but like something that culminates uh with this dumbledore assassination is that this film even more so than the book is explicitly an allegory for the tsa
1: yeah weird weird thing to go for really
0: weird choice it's um, it's it,
1: the halfwood prince is actually about how airport security doesn't work because yeah. of teleportation cabinets yeah
0: <laughs> It is it is well meaning in the same way that like a lot of like liberally leaning uh, uh, blockbusters of this time were, but also manages to still fall prey to the same problems that those do, just without the more explicitly racist parts. It's so bizarre. Like like there's that speech that Dumbledore gives at the beginning where he's like. To all the students of Hogwarts, guess what? You might have noticed that you had to go through the TSA to get here. <laughs> and that's because terrorism is happening. And guess what? The strongest weapon they have against penetrating our castle is all of you. And then he literally says, something to think about, which fucking killed me.
1: I still do not understand the intent of that line. Something I'm think about. still thinking about it. Something to think about.
0: The airport security doesn't didn't work but the the terrorists still like to blow up houses and and uh, uh, vanishing cabinets and headmasters, I guess, and it's just sort of this like collective like hand throwing up of like, well, I don't know that a lot of these movies of the time did.
1: Just something to think about. <laughs> just something to think
0: <laughs> about. yeah, exactly. Um, it never doesn't really say anything explicit one way or the other, but it's it's definitely much more of an on the nose. Uh, uh, metaphor in this film than it than it was in the book uh and then there's the escape the escape from hogwarts uh with the death eaters which takes place entirely on a green screen and one of them, and
1: and once again, Helena Bonham Carter manages to overact a scene that is about different characters, <laughs> yes. and just completely bulldoze everything else that's going yeah, on. Yeah, Harry
0: is chasing Snape and flinging spells at him and yelling at him to fight him because he's a coward. It's it's like you know it's pretty good. It's emotional. Um, every time you see a close up of Snape, it looks horrendous because it is uh, entirely shot on a green screen uh, with a like bad hagrid's hut plus like stormy clouds behind him it's so disappointing how distracting this looks uh, i'm
1: I'm really confused about what happened in this scene and maybe you can let me know but I, i'm the background ap- appears to be a matte painting right mm-hmm.
0: a digital matte painting yeah yeah
1: why did I thought, like, because I love, I love matte paintings in movies, Mm -hmm. but I feel like usually they use, like, a fog machine for the mist or something instead of having the mist painted onto the background so that it just looks like they're in front of a, a set. Like, it's just completely still.
0: It's, it's, it's just, it is, it is part of the teething problem of composite stuff. Like, I, I know that I, like, dunk on CG appearing really distractingly in, in these films on like all these movie episodes, I would like to take an aside and just, if, if anyone is like rolling their eyes, listening to me, I'm not like anti using computers to make movies look good. Um, the issue is that, especially with these films, like from the mid, the mid two thousands, compositing it, like even, even with the best computers and the best artists, it is a really difficult job to get right because light, is, you know, like, like, lighting artists on films are so dedicated to understanding how light interacts with a set and a scene and actors, right? And when mm-hmm. you divide that job up between multiple people, it becomes a nightmare. Because it's, like, like, logistically, if you are trying to make it look like Snape is standing in front of a, a like, beautiful vista, right? And you just have a green screen behind him... You can't just put a picture behind him. And the reason that like a physical map painting would work would be because he was still on a set with a backlit painting behind him. You could tell that it was a a whole scene, right? Like, oh, the light, there is light from, he's being backlit by this painting um, and presumably other studio lights or whatever. Whereas here, it's like he was shot in front of a green screen and if one thing in the background of this this painting this digital painting that is behind him does is not perfectly in line with how our brains understand light to work it's going to look bad and and it is it is just a like a real problem with how hollywood films are are made now in that like the people on the set and the people doing the visual effects often just don't interact. Like they're like often contracted out like these sweatshop visual effects studios whose job it is to just like, here, make, make film look good, please. Mm-hmm. And it, it is, it, it always crops up it, the most with, with compositing, like, like putting, putting an actor who is, is not in a place into a scene. It's doable. It, you know, it, it can be done, but nine times out of ten it's the first thing an audience is going to notice looking off because it is uh it is so easy to make uh uh, the lighting not look correct for the scene and it's not like any one person's fault it's just because this is such a like chopped up fast-tracked assembly line production thing now right like it is it's it's a real shame
1: it is just very distracting how off the background looks and how just like completely still it is yeah
0: yeah like it is it looks like he like i i i said zoom background earlier and like Mm -hmm. that's the feeling it gives me every time because in the wide shots too like there's that shot that i've been posting on twitter of like hogwarts like the photoshop painting of hogwarts that's behind filch
1: yeah and he's just like t-posing on the bridge in front of the in front of
0: Hogwarts, it's very funny. And like, the scale is all fucked up, and yeah, it's just... I don't know why they did it that way. Because you're right, it, it has nothing to do with whether or not it, it looks real or not, right? Like, it, it's 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 not about it, like, being like, oh, I can't tell that that is a matte painting. I can always tell when something's a matte painting, right? Like, it's pretty obvious, but there's a way to do it that makes it... that still gives it, like, that feeling of, like, oh, I'm, I am under this film's illusion or however you want to put it right like it's it's just very flat and drab in this film so many times
1: the um the whole scene um of harry confronting snape and them trading some spells aside from just the way that it looks which i think it looks pretty bad um i'm wondering why they took they I, I guess the like directing in this scene and the take that they decided to go with. Alan Rickman just seems <laughs> very like a, I don't I don't know it's it's a weird unemotional scene kind of.
0: Yeah, it is I don't
1: know if it's Helena Bonham Carter's fault because again <laughs> I I do think that she's like way way overacting and is very distracting in this scene. But it's just a little bit of a letdown. I guess the lines they had Alan Rickman read are just absurd, because he has to say the name of the movie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Can you, can you, can you, like, imitate for me the way he says it?
1: I don't think I even can. It's it's very, like, like, uh, like, I'm, I am the half-blood prince. He he just kind of, like, trails off. Does he
0: say that's right? for some reason that's stuck in my head. He says like, that's right. I'm the half-blood prince or something like that. Just like really. And it's a really funny, like it's a bummer. Cause I, I think Alan Rickman's great. And I think this scene could be really good. And obviously Daniel Radcliffe is great too. F- this is another scene where I'm not sure if these actors were in the same place ever, um, uh-huh. um, which gives it, which, you know, it's obviously a lot harder to act when you don't have another actor to bounce off of. Um, but also, I think that this has the really unfortunate side effect of having to deal with the fact that the 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 um that they made the good decision to remove the book is my dad, but mm-hmm. but they still need to have this reveal where he says the title of the film
1: right because because the way the impact of the book in this movie is nothing, right? Like he does a spell out of it that hurts Draco. And then is like, oh, the book is bad, and then it gets rid of it. There's no emotional core to that storyline. Yeah,
0: and like the closest thing, like he he throws Sectumsempra at Snape again because he's mad, um, and then but then Snape is like, you know, that's right, I'm the half blood prince or whatever. But like he because they made again the good decision. To, like, get rid of the scene where he says, okay, I am back from the hospital wing, but I will stay here while you go to your dorm and get your book <laughs> so you can bring it back to me to show me your book. Um, th- because they remove that, he doesn't know that Harry has the uh, the book, right? Like, he... I guess he would g- guess... He could guess because he used Sectumsempra, but, like, that's not... Th- that, that that line, that, like, oh, I'm the Half-Blood Prince... It's it's it is not the like I am your father scene they're hoping for. No,
1: it's it's honestly a little odd that we didn't have more um like movie only scenes of of Harry uh, maybe bringing up the Half Blood Prince in passing. Yeah, you know, be, yeah, like like. I mean, I can I can picture a very, like, relatable teen thing where it's, like, when a teen is really interested in something, they'll, like, do whatever they can to bring it up in other, in <laughs> other conversations, right? Like, he's hanging out with Ron and Hermione, and they're, like, uh, talking about something unrelated, and, and Harry's, like, oh, well, I, you know, the half-blood prince would have would have done it this way uh-huh. or whatever. Um, and I think that would have been really I charming. Do, I do that,
0: and I'm nearly 30.
2: Yeah! <laughs>
0: right. Yeah, it's uh, that is that that's a really good point. That would have been a lot cuter, and and, and would have made this reveal make more sense for the again. Uh, this is another moment that I think if you are not a book reader, if you were just watching these films, you'd be totally lost because yeah. because the Half Blood prints Really was not that big a deal to Harry. Like like once they put the book away and and Ginny disappeared like a vampire, he seemed pretty over it, right? Which is which makes this just lose all impact. And especially just just fucking Bellatrix. They're running from from Hogwarts to to apparate away, and her just like mid Snape's conversation, just shooting Hagrid's hut and blowing it up is not comedy in the way they want it to be, (laughs) but I sure found it funny. (laughs) Like it's just so bad. Um,
1: I think it's stupid that they had her do it. I, I feel like the thing that I did like about that change as dumb as her her performance is in this movie is I do. I like how explicit they've made Draco's heartbreak at watching his, like where he has gone to school mm -hmm. be destroyed. Yeah um, I it makes him very sympathetic. It's very it just plays back into the like loss of innocence thing and him being conflicted and, and all of that. I think that's pretty good. I think Tom Felton does a pretty good job. Yeah. Um I, I mean, because the 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 heartbreak is plain on his face, whereas in the books, obviously we get Harry going like, ah, oh, he might not have done it. He looked a <laughs> little he looked a little upset, maybe. Yeah. Um but they they really like they ham it up with Tom Felton in this movie mm-hmm. and like his like sad sad face, but but again, that's a scene that should be about Draco that ends up being about Bellatrix because Helena Bonham Carter like can't <laughs> just like take it down a couple notches. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, she's just going going full tilt the entire time. Uh, the part where she's fucking kicking all of the plates off of the table in the Great Hall too it is there's there's that onion article i've brought up a few times for this book um uh but but i think it really applies to bellatrix here the like marilyn manson going door to door trying to shock people thing (laughs) that is bellatrix in this movie like like, it was it was fenrir in the book but because fenrir doesn't have any speaking lines in the book in the film it is now helena bottom carter uh, uh, licking people and uh, making little smoochy noises uh, at Draco and kicking all the silverware off of the, t- the table just like just take it down like two or three notches please uh, just 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 too much too too silly
1: I know that she's a fan favorite character but again it's just like there has to be some measured, a performance for scenes that just aren't about her because there's no she doesn't really do anything in this movie yeah it's like um, it's she like should reverse, just be there to be recognized it's
0: like reverse boba fett like <laughs> like the fandom the star wars fandom loved boba fett for 30 years even though all he did was in one movie he kind of nodded and said yes sir to to uh to darth vader and then in the third movie he flew around like an idiot and got eaten by a giant worm and like didn't do anything (laughs) cool but like he looked cool and like that was all that mattered so uh, bellatrix is sort of the opposite where it feels like the the movie wants her to be that kind of character like oh she's the cool bad guy um and it just won't stop giving her cool stuff to do (laughs) like just just letting her go crazy on the set i i really wonder how much of that was written in the screenplay and how like i i don't know i i could be entirely uh uh wrong here but there is part of me that wonders if like working with helena bottom carter on this movie was like working with jared leto on suicide squad yeah where it's just like like this must have been awful a film like, just, like, trying to act and then have her just hamming it up all the time. Uh, it just, it seems like it might have been a chore.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of an, a more understated role that that actress has done. She's in the King's Speech, right?
0: Yeah yeah she
1: she, so is that like the only movie where she doesn't play this character that she always plays let's
0: take a look let's see helena bonham carter um king's speech obviously that's a big one the first thing i ever saw her in was uh mary shelley's frankenstein Mm -hmm. the kenneth Brano one Mm -hmm. um which is not good it's okay she's in oh fight club where she is she is the like goth mm. gf and in, in fight club so that's mm-hmm. kind of that's maybe the uh origin story of that persona probably <laughs> she's the witch in big fish uh she's uh she's the crazy mom in charlie and the chocker factory <laughs> she's the corpse bride <laughs> I, I forgot, forgot about, about that, that. <laughs> uh, she the, the film that might as well have been called the goth gf uh <laughs> She's Mrs. Lovett, uh, which is the same performance in in this uh, in, in Sweeney Todd that that she gives as Bellatrix, basically. Oh yeah, big time. Yeah, that's that's I don't know. She's a character actress, and there's nothing wrong with being a character actor, but uh, but like.
1: No, and again, I it's not my cup of tea. Yeah, like, I'm really. I just didn't really go for that sort of thing, but I know a lot of people like find It really fun, and I totally respect that. But these scenes weren't about her, yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. I, I, they're like, I mean, Slughorn's a great example, right? Like, like, Slughorn is not the um character in the film I envision from the book, but that is fine, right? Like, an, an adaptation is an adaptation, it doesn't need to be the same thing. Um, what's weird is them casting a very large, you know, a, a larger-than-life character actress as this character who isn't supposed to do much in this uh and and it like just let her steal the show every time and uh it, it just it's very distract.
1: yeah i mean i know i'm biased because i'm a snape wife um <laughs> but i mean it's the scene after that he just killed dumbledore and he again is He's playing it very understated because Snape is, you know, he's, like, pretty reserved and, like, sort of a solemn character. And there's the, like, them walking out after their stealth mission. Mm -hmm. And and he's, like, trying to, again, like, I mean, we know because we know what happens, but, like, has just killed Dumbledore and is very upset about it but needs to put on this act. Um, And it's it's a very, like, a, a fairly subtle performance. But honestly, it's probably not that subtle. It's just that Bellatrix is going just completely crazy that that's all I even remember from that scene is her like walking on the table and blowing up windows and blowing up Hagrid's hut. Right.
0: Like that's the thing is that, that it is it's honestly impressive to um make Alan Rickman's Snape look uh uh reserved, right? Right. Like like Alan Rickman's Snape he is dripping with like just stage actor melodrama right yeah all the time it's fantastic um um but against bellatrix that just doesn't like come through as well because she's at like 11 well he's at like an eight most of the time right like Mm -hmm. (laughs) it, it is it is really uh it's just it's like it's 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 a pairing of two flavors that don't go together and and they're fine on their own right like i'll i'll go for a i'll go for a wacky a wacky villain any day of the week but you can't have them like sharing the same screen as the non wacky uh villain like while they're giving their most emotional speech right like it just doesn't work yeah what a shame. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's too bad because I think I think Snape is is quite good here. Although, like you said, like the 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 line read on maybe the most important, the, you know, the title read is maybe, maybe there was just no way to make that sound good.
1: Yeah, probably doesn't really mean anything to us. So other than we know it's the title of the movie. Right. Wands up.
0: Oh, <laughs> wands up. Yes. Thank you. Wands up. Um, uh, wands up. But people, everyone discovers Dumbledore's beautiful body. Mm-hmm. You know, after he die diehards off the off the tower. Yeah, you know, when Snape yep. kills him, um, this is Wands Up. I for some reason thought Wands Up was a movie seven and eight thing, but it is it is this movie. Everyone crowds around Dumbledore's body. They're all sad, and then McGonagall raises her wand, and everyone follows suit. I guess we're learning something about wizard culture is when a cool guy dies. You fire your guns in the air. <laughs> is it that they're casting lumos on the skull? Is that what it is?
1: I mean, if that was what it was, wouldn't the, wouldn't they have a cool CG skull getting blown apart by the light of the? That's kind of what happened.
0: I, it's weird. I, they're firing their rifles in the air. It, it, it's 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 meaningless, right? Like it is it is a it's a film affectation that I just don't think goes anywhere. Um, the
1: music is telling me I should care about this, oh, though.
0: Boy, howdy is it ever telling you.
1: Telling me exactly how to feel in this in this particular instance. It is
0: actually the same composer as the last one, funnily enough. Really? Yes, which surprised me because it is an improvement, I would say.
1: Yeah. Like I even I even said to you, I was like, oh good, they got a real composer this time. <laughs> that's right
0: yeah no it it, it, like i i disagree with the way that it was used in the edit right like it's very cloying but Mm -hmm. the music itself i think is much better
1: yeah it's pretty good
0: yeah it's uh it's a a a large improvement um and this is where the film ends because there's no funeral in this we do not get the 21 gun salute we instead get harry and hermione sharing a heart-to-heart looking out over the, uh, over the grounds in the astronomy tower and, and going like, wow, I never noticed how beautiful it was here. And I guess I've got to go on a Horcrux adventure. So I'm not going back to Hogwarts, which I think is a, you know, God forbid, like the, 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 the film version of the funeral could have been a disaster. Like I, I understand why they didn't want to film it. Cause it, as in, as it is presented in the book, it is nuts. Um, but I, I was I was sad that we didn't get to see that level of nuts, you know?
1: I kind of wanted it because I, yeah. I would be curious what they would do. Um also I wonder if they would try to draw a like parallel between the Aragog funeral and Dumbledore's funeral. Oh, that's a good I point. Think th- I think you could do something um kind of clever there. Yeah. I don't know what, but I, I, I really thought we were gonna have
0: a funeral scene. Instead we get Harry and Hermione having a heart to heart while Ron is just chilling behind
1: them. Uh, did, did Rupert, like, not show up to um, to filming on the day that this was shot I, and had to, like, to go do a makeup day?
0: I think that must be it. I don't know. Like,
1: it is so strange.
0: So, so, like, I mentioned earlier that there are a lot of scenes that were shot like this because actors were coming in and out at different times. Um, uh-huh. But... This is the weirdest one, I think, because it really is just Harry and Hermione's scene. Uh, Okay. Following a week of rehearsals, principal photography began on 24th September uh, 2007 and ended on 17th May 2008. Radcliffe, Gambon, and Broadbent started shooting in September. Other cast members started much later. Grint did not begin until November 2007. Watson did not begin until December. Okay, so maybe it's the other way. That's very strange. So he must have been there unless he filmed his stuff first and then they had Daniel and and it's just a really odd choice. Like knowing that the actors weren't all there at the same time has has just like opened my third eye with this movie and I'm trying to figure out which scenes were filmed that way because mm-hmm. and this one just sticks out so badly because it's like the conversation Harry and Hermione have is very important for all three characters, I think. And it just makes Ron look like he's uninvested in the situation because mm-hmm. he's just sitting there and he's like, look, and he like nods a little bit like, yeah, yeah. Like he he's he's paying attention, but like he's just not part of the scene. Um, I mean, he's
1: also really far away. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. He's sitting on the stairs. Like it's it's quite odd. I would love to know how that was put together and whether it was, it was a scheduling conflict thing. Cause if, 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 if I will say if it is, if that is the case, if it is a case of them having to put a scene together out of different pieces that they, that they wouldn't have anything of otherwise, I think they did a good job, but it is surreal. Even, even with uh with that acknowledgement, right? Like just Ron, Harry's best friend, uh, sitting and brooding uh while harry has this very mature like realization like oh i've got to go on this adventure and like save the world right like like harry is nowhere near as torn up in this as he was in the book um uh and and seeing seeing ron just sitting there staring at them while they (laughs) chat is very odd
1: yeah, we don't get the Harry Ginny breakup scene either, thank God. Oh,
0: that's a good point. I didn't think of that. I wonder if that sticks around in the seventh movie or whether that's just not in the s- films at all. I'm curious. Maybe he'll,
1: maybe he'll break up with her at the wedding.
0: Mm, that might be it. Um. But yeah, that was the film. It was, I think, better than the last one. I think that it has some real moments where it shines, but I think ultimately it is like hamstrung by whenever it has to follow the book, I think is, is, is whenever it's at its weakest
1: in kind of the same way as order of the Phoenix. I had a great time with it. Like Mm -hmm. I, I had, I had fun watching it. I will say that. And it's probably just a, a bit of a better movie than order of the Phoenix, just from a mechanics standpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, Story makes no sense,
2: you know. <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I mean, they're they're squeezing blood from a stone for the, from the plot of Half Blood Prince because it is, um, it's just a lore dump. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, we are a few, we're like a week out from finishing the book, and I'm trying to reflect back and thinking about the structure of the book and what <laughs> happens in it and like the thematic through lines, and I'm just like that. That is a that is a mess. So mm-hmm. I, I respect their attempt. I also respect the stuff that they just decided was not worth salvaging. Mm-hmm. Like, even going through the Horcrux stuff, they just kind of gave gave the exposition mm-hmm. as minimal as possible. Figure it out yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. Who
1: cares? Yeah. Here's a, ca- here's a cave. Y-
0: yeah, it is. It, it moves so quickly through that stuff. And I think that this is one of the... This, this is an example, I think, of when... Um, when you're doing an adaptation of something and the person who wrote the original is involved, I think that's usually a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that this is a film that on its own suffers from that because mm-hmm. obviously when JK Rowling is still involved and I think, you know, still, still working with uh, Steve Clovis and, and and like working on the screenplay of this film. Um, there are, sweeping cuts that she's just not going to want to make right um yeah and and uh i think that's generally worth respecting but i think that like i think that like if if we are ever to get like a harry potter reboot that like uh jk rowling is not involved in as directly i think that and this is maybe a really weird way to think about it but like i think that this movie shows the potential for how good and interesting a harry potter movie that is less faithful to the letter of the book could be Mm -hmm. Um, like this like in in an alternate universe this could have been the best harry potter movie is kind of where i'm at uh because every time they diverge from the book and kind of like focus more on either like the teen drama stuff or like harry and dumbledore's relationship or 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 the the rearranging the draco mystery um and changing the relationships with snape like all of that stuff i think hits some really excellent moments that then fall apart whenever they have to adhere to what we expect this film to be as something based on the book um and and i mean that's a really interesting position to be in um And I think it is better than Order of the Phoenix just because it is more interesting, but it is still not, not great.
1: No. Fun, though.
0: It was fun. I had a great time watching it. There's both some some genuine laughs and some ironic ones, you know. (laughs) Um, It's, uh, it's, uh, no, yeah, I I think that's, um, that's a good way to put it. It's like, it is, it is fun. I had a good time. Um, I wish the tattooed man had been in it.
1: Tell the story of the Tattooed Man, please. Yeah,
0: that'll be how we close this out. I'm going to tell the story of the Tattooed Man. We were watching a few um, uh, making-of clips after watching the movie last night, and I found one that was a DVD feature um, of Emma Watson chatting with the head makeup artist about this film... Uh, so first she like shows her how they did the dark marks, which is just like here's a temporary tattoo of a dark mark, um, which was kind of funny on its own, just like oh we like this is very long, detailed explanation of like how to apply a temporary tattoo. Um, it,
1: yeah, it, it's very funny because none of like nobody called it a temporary tattoo, and the makeup artist like walked emma watson through how to apply it it's like now you have now we have to apply the water to it and it's like nobody in the video acknowledges that it's a temporary <laughs> tattoo it's so funny it's super
0: funny and then so then to follow this up uh emma watson says and and i think that this is part of the comedy of this whole thing and she says what was the most challenging part of the makeup on this film <laughs> but i think what the like the makeup artist heard was like what's the most tattoos you have to do on this film or something? <laughs> because what she immediately like like just launches into like oh the tattooed man um has been has been a real challenge for us and it then cuts to this concept art of this like nude man <laughs> covered in tattoos he, um you know he looks like an extra in a prison break movie mm-hmm. um and Emma's like, oh, yeah, I remember this story of I, I walked into the makeup trailer one day and there was just this naked guy covered in tattoos there. Whoa, wacky. And it's it and they're talking about how, like, yeah, you know, we have to put the temporary tattoos all over this guy. Um, but in the end, I think it looks really great and it's worth it. And as she says this, it shows a, like a film still of this character. And I'm like. Yeah, I thought I was
1: going crazy. We had just watched the movie. Yeah, like- we. Ten minutes before we had we had finished the movie, and I'm like looking at this picture of this tattooed man, and I'm like, I don't remember this at all. What is happening to my my brain?
0: Yeah, there's like one there's like one shot of him that like looks like it's from a like from the movie, and I was like, we just watched this. I do not recognize this guy. And then they, so like they continue talking about it. It's like, yeah, he's, you know, it it was very difficult, but at the end, the end of the day, it was worth it. I think it looks great. And then in the Harry Potter font, this like (laughs) banner appears at the bottom that says, unfortunately, the tattooed man does not appear in the final version of the film. (laughs) So good. So they just this entire DVD feature is the makeup artist talking about a really hard thing she did that didn't even make it into the movie. It's so sad. Why did they include this? Baby shoes for sale, never worn. that that, yeah, I think unfortunately, the tattooed man <laughs> does not appear in the final version of the film is is the new, you know, it's more words, but I think it's a sadder story.
1: <laughs> it definitely is a sadder story.
0: The shot they showed of him was, it looked like he was in the astronomy tower. I want to know if, like, maybe he was, like, a stand-in for, or, like, not a stand-in, but, like, maybe they weren't going to do Fenrir originally. And then they decided, no, actually, we can. Because Fenrir's makeup is very complex uh, in this film. And he doesn't maybe have any... it was,
1: um, who's the elf Death Eater? Oh. I can't remember his name.
0: Oh, the, the the enormous blonde became the enormous tattoo man. <laughs> yeah, that's possible. I would love to know what the deal with tattooed man is because it it's just. I'll I'll post the video on the on the Twitter. It is um, it is it is some of the best like just unintentional comedy I've seen in one of these DVD features. I. But yeah, I felt for for like a solid minute, I was like, there was no tattooed guy in this movie. Is this, or did we watch the wrong thing or something? Like, did we watch an old version? And then it turns out, no, he was sadly and tragically cut, cut out of the film. So sad. It's very sad. Well, we have gone very, very long. Thank you everyone for sticking with us as we picked apart this uh, very strange film. Um, And next week, what are we reading?
1: Haha. Ha, um, I have not purchased the book yet, <laughs> so I can't tell you what the first chapter is called. But I assume we're going to be reading chapter one of the Deathly Hallows. Chapter
0: one <laughs> of the Deathly Hallows, maybe two. I don't know how long the chapters at the beginning are. Um, but we will we will get that information out there at some point. I I'm so excited to be moving into book seven. The theme song is normally Hot McGonagall by Cheshire Moon, but obviously this is the movie episode, so I'm going to be using the jazzy uh, uh wild about Harry song. <laughs> um, you can still check them out on Bandcamp, and you can check us out at Patreon.com/slash/Shriekast. Uh, we have so much fun bonus content there for you, including our our uh, Witcher rundowns and some other books that we've read, and, and lots and lots of fun stuff. But uh, yeah, starting a new book next—it's exciting.
1: Uh, chapter one is called "The Dark Lord Ascending."
0: Fuck for yeah! What it's worth. Ooh, sounds badass.
1: Spooky, right?
0: Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, I think that's it. I think it's going to do it for us. Please read another book. Please read another book. That's right. I, I wasn't thinking about books because it was a movie episode. This week. <laughs>
1: please, please watch another movie. Please watch another
0: movie. Yes. <laughs>